Welcome back, everybody. How hey, you doing, Sim? I'm doing good. How are you? I love that right before we're going to start, you look at what I'm wearing to decide if you should make a joke. That's no, what you just did. No, I didn't. I did right look at, at what you were wearing, but it's funny. You're right. I looked exactly at it. What I was really thinking was you wore a grayish sweatshirt yesterday or Monday? Monday. And I took a double look just Somewhat to see similar. if it was that same one. God forbid I wear the same clothes. Well, because you also wore the same clothes today as you wore yesterday. What do you mean? Didn't you wear that hoodie with your roses on it yesterday for no, the show? No. I wore that for I wear that today. I wore a black wear t-shirt today. Oh, okay. Wow, I saw it was really paying attention because when I you're a fashionista, people look for you for inspiration. I get it. I know you've been trying to jack my style, <laughs> yeah, right. going more crew neck. Look, I know that you've always liked, admire the way I, I button my top button. <laughs> Uh, I want to go back to something we started with on Monday's podcast, Atlanta, Atlanta, Atlanta. Atlanta. A little update to what we're doing. First of all, thank you to the dozens of people that are already reserving space. I just want to tell everybody, like, it's... we don't have unlimited space, right? so it's, it might get a little bit tight, but we're going to be at Dantana's in the CNN Center right near the stadium where the Super Bowl will be played the week of the Super Bowl near Radio Row, the hotels, bars, the NFL experience, Tuesday 5 o'clock podcast, Wednesday 5 o'clock podcast, Thursday 6 p.m. show, Friday 4.30 podcast. Holy crap. You're signed up for all those things. I am? Are we sure? I yeah. need to check my I call my agent because I don't know if I'm supposed to work that much. If you're coming, email simsandlefko at gmail.com, simsandlefko at gmail.com to all of the dozens of people that have already emailed Josh. You guys are awesome. He's going to respond back to you with a sign-up link to get your name on the list. We're going to have some wristbands, and also there's a chance there's going to be free drinks so get your 1942 ready Uh uh-oh they won't have that Uh, why not because it's It's expensive so okay if we're giving out free 1942 then i have been being i've been underpaid here (laughs) i'm just gonna say that it's gonna make it for a very fun atmosphere yeah yeah so you know i mean if we're if the drinks are flowing and we're just shooting the shit talking about the super bowl that's like three days away in atlanta it's gonna be a fun night it will be get your tickets now they're hot don't let them get the stub hub these tickets because then they're just they're gonna mark up the prices for them really i'm gonna be out front like a like a a newsie (gasps) hey come on by i got tickets sims and lufko no but it's 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 We've never done anything like this. It's going to be a great time. I think we've had like 70 or 80 people already kind of email for tickets. Cool. So, like, just letting you guys know, that Thursday, the show, like the rest of the time, it's going to be people standing and hanging out in bar tops and all that. But the Thursday show, there's really only 20 seats. And that's when we're going to have like why some, just the Thursday show because that's 20. our show. Oh, so it's going to be like show, a, it's going to be like right. a show Ooh, audience, intimate audience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're going to break down all of your film. I've gone through all of your notes. It's changing the way that I'm looking already at the divisional games. Damn it. A lot of people are asking me, who are you going to pick? And I tell them, I don't think you guys think you guys understand. I farm your brain. Yes. Some of your it's thoughts, really I annoying. go, oh, that's interesting. And then some, I go, he's going to think this is going to be too big of a deal, and I don't <laughs> think it will be. So it impacts the way I do my picks. It should impact the way you do your picks. Right. But we got to get through this coaching stuff. Yeah, okay. We get done our podcast Monday, 
and our favorite quarterback that we've ever seen, Aaron Rodgers, yeah. has a new coach. And I was upset because I wanted to talk about it. Yeah. Packers hire Matt LaFleur. They want to get a young guy in there to work alongside Aaron Rodgers that can challenge him creatively, and I understand it. But there's one name that comes to mind when I hear this, and that's Vance Joseph. Vance Joseph was the young, interesting defensive mind that had the 27th-ranked pass defense for the Dolphins. I think it was 29th overall-ranked defense. And yet he still got hired by Denver. Right. And that's what it feels like here. Yeah. It's the young up-and-coming mind that went shoulder-to-shoulder with McVeigh and Shanahan, who had like the 27th best passing offense. Right. And now he's the coach at Green Bay, and I'm still a little down about it. I get it. And, and this, all right, this is where I'm going to start with this, because I think th- this is where people think just because you worked with that coach, you know everything they know. And I'm just going to say this right off the bat. That's not the case. It's just like we talked about when I tell you ask me or people go, why haven't Bill Belichick's coaching tree succeeded? Because Bill doesn't let him know every secret in the world. Kyle Shanahan's not going to open the vault and be like, guys, you ain't I with him this shooting out. in the gym, right? You don't know every decision he's exactly making right. Josh, or why Josh he's McDaniels when it was game planning time, he locked himself in a closet. And we didn't see him for seven hours. So to assume the quarterback's coach has all the knowledge that he has Ex- is wild. Is wild. Exactly right. So uh, now, look, you know, I've always said yeah. you learn more from bad bosses than good bosses. Yeah, I know. It's... You go to Belichick and you're not going to learn a lot. You're going to have stories. Right. But you're going to go and you're going to work under Vance Joseph and you're going to go, when I become a head coach, I'm definitely not, not talking to that. a team like that yeah, or right. doing that. Right. Right. So, and again, a lot of these coaches, they're half politician too, and they realize this. They don't want the guy that leaves their coaching tree to get a job in their division, and then all of a sudden, damn, he's as good as me, and he knows every trick of my offense, and we're losing to them twice a year. So you got to think of that aspect. Either way, back to the point, yes, I'm with you. I was disappointed about LaFleur. You I, believe that LaFleur can become a head coach, yes. but he needs more seasoning. He had all. He has all the potential to be that guy, but... We're we're just we're jump we're we're hoping he's going to be that guy right now. And again, I would remind everybody, you know, Sean McVay had three years of designing a Redskins offense and it being one of the top ten offenses in football all three years. I think one of the years it was like sixteen or seventeen. But okay, so he did everything. Um, Kyle Shanahan, we've talked about, had two top five offenses in Houston. D.C., he went there, had some top offenses, had two top ten offenses in Atlanta, then finally got yes. a head coaching job. LaFleur is still at the early stages, and I yes, I would have liked to have seen him be an O.C., and to your point, I would say, and I don't like to say this because I like Matt and I see the potential, but, I mean, I'm paid to evaluate, and... If I had to point out the number one weakness to the Tennessee Titan football team, it would have been their pass offense. You know, and I know he's still finding his way, and he's learning players and the way Mike Vrabel wants to play as well. So I'm not putting it all on that. I'm, I'm there. also going to add yeah. this to the fending right. of him. He did not have a ton of depth behind Corey Davis. No, he did not. He they had O line issues too. He did, he, they had a lot of O line issues. Yes, they which did. You were one of the first people to get on before the year and yep. go look. That interior part's very overrated. Right. 
They also lost Delaney Walker, who I can imagine he built a lot of that offense around in the offseason. I agree. But it yep. was the it was the lack of formations and creativity. Exactly. That jumped out to me every week. Exactly right. Because I was... thought this was going to be because you remember in the preseason. Yeah. He had that one screen where Taewon Taylor took it to the house and everybody right. was like, the Shanahan offense is alive in Tennessee. Yes. Yeah. Didn't happen. Just not ready yet. So, you know, again, I'm rooting for Matt LaFleur. One because I like him. Two because I love him. Aaron Rodgers, and I want it to work, but uh, yeah, this is a roll of the dice. This is a hope hire, what I would call it. It is a hope We hire. hope he's everything he can be and grow into that person, but you we know have no Matt facts. LaFleur? I do, just through the years of Kyle. And stuff? Yeah, oh yeah. What, how does he carry himself? He's like um, very professional, uh, easy to talk to. Is he cool? He is cool. He, he would be... Again, when I say somebody has head coaching potential, that's what I mean. Charisma, demeanor, can lead people. If he that's stands in thing. front of a team, yes, is he going to command respect? Well, th- when they first look at him, and I'm sure this goes for Sean McVay and sure. Kyle Shanahan, sure. you look at them and you go, damn, he's young. What the hell does he know? But then once they start to talk ball, you go, whoa. Because okay. that's the thing that I've heard in so many articles is Aaron Rodgers requires an intellect. Yeah. That if he thinks that you're smart, you can have his respect. And right. I under- I get it. Right. Do you think LaFleur is creative enough and intelligent enough to invigorate Aaron Rodgers? I do. I do think That's he, exciting. I do think he can, yes, yeah, spark that. And I do think LaFleur is also open to conversation, too. He's not an evil dictator where he's just like, this is the way, and this is the way I was taught it, and we're never changing. Like, he'll listen to Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron's like, you know, I, I'd like to tinker with this on this concept or whatever. Yeah. And I'll go, okay, because he's going to respect that Aaron Rodgers studies the game and knows it as well. So I do think the working relationship would be there. But I just, like I said, in the perfect world, I would have liked to see Matt LaFleur prove himself a little bit more as an OC, find different ways to execute, call yes. plays, formulate plans. That's where I feel like he's uh, still at a kind of a beginner mm-hmm. phase of his career. So another team decided to go on social media and see who else is Sean McVay friends with on Facebook? We'd like to hire them. And that's what the Cardinals did. I'm friends with these guys. Yeah, when are you going to get Just come on. Is that what all I had to do is just hire a circle? Are you friends with McVay or Shanahan? Cardinals hire Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah. This is even more shocking than the Green Bay hire. Yes. And I'm going to say one sentence, and I'm not going to give you my opinion. Cliff Kingsbury had a losing record with Patrick Mahomes in the Big 12. Yeah. All I'm going to say, you didn't win with Patrick Mahomes. Right. Wasn't Uh, sure if he really wanted Baker Mayfield as a starting quarterback. Because what's really funny is people go, wins aren't a stat. It is with coaching. Yeah. It is with coaching. It definitely is. Are you shocked by this? It sounds like it was a rush job, too. Shocked? Like, beyond belief? I think he's shocked. He doesn't take the USC offensive coordinator job if he knows he's got a chance to be the head coach in the NFL. He would have never done that. So he had no inklings about that. I think it was early December when he accepted the USC job, right? So, um, again, I'm going to use a similar phrase I just used with Matt LaFleur. I know Cliff Kingsbury. Same thing I'm going to tell you. He has the potential and all the characteristics to be a successful head coach. You've actually covered him as a coach, right? Exactly right. When Baker Mayfield was his starting quarterback, and they couldn't figure out whether they wanted to play Baker Mayfield or Davis Webb. I'm on a game at Kansas, the Jayhawks, going, you know, hey, this Davis Webb, he's a good-looking athlete, but Baker Mayfield's the guy. I mean, go back and watch it. I don't know what you year that was. You were him to Russell Wilson I back was. Then. Yeah, even then. This is even before I got into that yet. But I was going, man, this Baker Mayfield, uh, he's a pretty damn good player. 
But, okay, so first of all, you're not a quarterback genius just because you can recruit guys to come to your school, okay? Yes. I mean, that's, that's the that's first thing. nothing to it do with It has nothing to do with coaching or doing anything. But Kingsbury does have potential. He is a leader of men. Again, great charisma, people skills. There's no nonsense, nonsense with Cliff. And, again, another guy that I looked at and said, damn, yeah, he has big-time potential to be a star NFL head coach one day. But not this route. Now he's mm. risking how successful he can be. And I don't blame him because I would probably take the job as well. But would love to have seen him go work for a Sean McVay or an Andy Reid for a few years and grow his diversity of his playbook. I will go into like something I've said about Mike McCarthy or Aaron Rodgers and their offense. He doesn't even know what he doesn't know yet, Lefko. That's what I was going to say about LaFleur. And then I would double it with Kingsbury. Hey, right, sure. Sure, I would double it for sure. And again, I would always be skeptical about guys who really just grew in the college ranks, right? I'm going to always throw these two examples out there. The college college football is a different game. It's way more simple. You know, NFL football is trigonometry and college football is fourth and fifth grade math. That's the best way I could say it, okay? It's just totally different games. Defenses, players-wise, the coaches you're coaching against. You know, he put coached in the Big 12, and... He saw the same three coverages the whole year against, you know, talent on the defensive side of the ball in the Big 12, which is definitely underwhelming, right? We, we don't see a lot of Big 12 guys drafted. You don't even have Ever. to formulate game plans to go, oh, we have to worry about this defense at right. end or this, you know, this defense at tackle. It's not even that, like, specific, like, man-to-man matchup. So that's where I get concerned. And what do you think these guys – what do you think Cliff Kingsbury said in the interview? Well, I think – he has, like, how do you think he sold himself? Well, I think he, he has, has no all those experience. He has no he has no statistics that prove how great he is. I know because they could just go. You were at Texas Tech in the Big Twelve, so all of your numbers are like fake. You couldn't get another head coaching job. How did Cliff sell this? Well, he he. From all the reasons I tell you he has the potential to be that great head coach, these are the things that come in handy to sell it. You know, you get in a room with him, you go, "Damn, he's handsome. He looks good up at that podium." Who fucking cares? I know, but they do. They do. Okay, and then they go. I, I try to, to remind. Talk. I try to remind people all the time. Yeah, just because they're billion dollar companies does not mean they're smart. Exactly right. A lot right? of them are dumb. just because they got a fancy business. They're card. all trying to cover their ass and make a big splash. Right. And and yeah. Anyway, what were you going to say? But I was just saying, like, yeah. I mean, he 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 dazzles them with his charisma and his ability to command a room and do all of that. And again, I've seen a shitty TED talk. Well, okay. Just because you can get up there and be good doesn't mean you're saying anything. Yeah, exactly right. But that's that's the point. What the hell does the owner know anyways? I mean, now Michael Bidwell is... Especially the Bidwells. Come on. I mean, that, is the, that is an owner that if you're going to hustle, you can hustle So him. that, okay, and I would even argue GMs. GMs are great player evaluators. They don't know scheme. I've sat and been with GMs and front office and people. If there's been a if there's been a team that's had a weird time of drafting for scheme, I'd say Arizona's picked some really questionable players over the last few years. They definitely have. So, you know, again... I don't think the GM and the owner could watch film at Texas Tech and be like, oh, whoa, yeah. look at him run flanker drive here, guys. He's really got that zebra option play way down. So I just go I go to that, and I go again with the college football thing before you go on. Again, I will remind everybody, Steve Spurrier was a college offensive genius. genius. Chip Kelly was a college offensive genius. And once these guys get to see you once or twice – it's over. I can still remember. Guys, your... hold on. The Ravens' offensive system lasted eight days exactly. before it was solved. Eight right. games. Yeah. Like, RG3 system worked for like eight games, and then it was like, we need to adjust. 
I can remember the Eagles going to scrimmage against the New England Patriots. I believe it was Chip Kelly's second year, right? Yes. And talking to people up in New England going, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get it. What's 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 everybody looking at? It's it's two run plays and and nine pass plays. That's the whole offense, you know. And New England's can be arrogant that way. Yeah. How did they not get stopped last They're year? They're arrogant in their honesty. Exactly. And I'm okay with Dude, that. I am too. Exactly right. I am too. Uh, I realized one thing. The reason you will not get the job, two reasons. <laughs> not a strong enough jaw. That's a trend I'm seeing right now. And you don't have any scruff. No scruff. All these coaches got the scruff. They're all looking like Ryan Gosling. Now, why do you think, by the way, you know what this is? What? An incidental playoff beard. Ooh. I've realized before the, the, the Bears game. No, right. no, no, no. The Washington game. I didn't shave. And I'm kind of on like a week and a half, two weeks. Wow, that's that's it. That's all you grew in a week and a half, two weeks. I feel like I could get my hair goes on my shoulders. I'm a big back hair guy. Bear Jew comes alive. Uh, The other thing is, I this is what I don't understand about society. Sean McVay is an outlier, right? That's all I hear. He's a 32 year old wonderkind, and then I hear people go, "I want to find my 32 year old wonderkind." Wonderkind is a special person. You're a boy genius. And and we understand how rare it is, and yet they still go out and try and find the other ones. Right. The moral of the story is, sorry, you missed out on the rare opportunity. Right. This isn't the norm. It's an outlier. And they acknowledge how rare it is, and they still believe there's another person out there to hire. They're speaking out of both sides of their mouth. Yes, they are. Well, again, it goes back to what it's we It's insane they're, they're, to me. There's a lot of politicians in the NFL. The true football people in the NFL, that's like the number one phrase I hear from them all the time. It's no longer about what you know about the sport. It's a position of elect. It's who you know. That's really what it's become, and it really frustrates the old-school football people in the NFL because you know they just see these young whippersnapper. Oh, he's good in a meeting, and he can talk the owner's it's ear like, off. It's like going, hey— I'm hiring this random middle middle management guy at Google, but he was at Google, so he's going to be really smart. It's like, well, what was he responsible for there? Yeah. What did he do? Yeah, what did he do? I, I, I get that. And, and listen. It's just, I, it's just like this, this elbow rubbing. No, it, it's ridiculousness. I, and I'll say this again. I, I'm just saying I'm concerned about the hires. I do know Lafleur because if I'm, if I'm if I'm going to self scout, yeah, you didn't you thought Sean McVay needed more seasoning too? I did. I know no question. So we're going to self scout. I would have liked to have done one more year, and I've told you he's been awesome. So, and if yeah. if Lafleur and Kingsbury do awesome, trust me, I'll be there to tell you the truth that they're doing awesome. I just don't think people appreciate enough what Sean McVay did for Kirk Cousins in that last exactly. year. Exactly when they went to the playoffs, mm-hmm. Sean McVay's offense was like the number one passing attack in the NFL for like right. most of that season. Right. And it's forgotten. Yeah, it is uh, forgotten. Let's get to some old guys got the job because we're old guys and we love old guys. Old guys. Broncos hire Vic Fangio. Yeah. And the first thing I thought was, Von Miller, let's go. Yeah. He, Bradley Chubb. Bradley Chubb. It's it's a team that he can do what he wants to do there. Yeah. They pass up Mike Munchak, which we I, we were rooting for both those guys. Yeah, definitely. I'm but, happy Fangio gets this opportunity. Yep. It's been too. a long time coming. Right. He is a little bit. He now he's a lot older than Kyle Shanahan, but he was the guy in San Francisco had a top ten defense every year. Goes to Chicago, top ten defense every year, and we're just going. Why is he not getting the opportunity? Exactly right. And I like that. Like I said, because he's not a politician. El, he just Elway is going to bounce back. 
oh, young guy doesn't work. Now we're going to go old guy. Goes Vic Fangio, and Gary Kubiak is his OC. Yeah, I'm not thrilled about of that. Of course not. You know, but it's just a weird friendship between. Well, Elway I mean, and obviously he Elway has wanted Kubiak back in the fold. I do know that, so and I understand. Weird. Well, go, listen, we can say all we want about Kubiak. I get it. I was never overly impressed with this offense. You know that. Back to the Peyton Manning year and yeah. all that. It was it was unimpressive. It's basic West Coast. So Here's, Denver's gonna be winning games fourteen to twelve. I, the next I few would years. think the one thing I'll give Kubiak credit for that I don't think he gets credit for is he made the Broncos tougher. He did. He gave them an attitude and an edge that they did not have under John Fox. And then mm. when he took over, even though it might not have looked as pretty as the Adam Gase offense. They were more of a gritty playoff, we'll figure out a way to win this game yeah. type of team. Do you like Fangio as a fit in Denver, just I, as a personality and all that? I do, because Denver is a tough place to coach. You talk about being under under a microscope. All the time. I mean, it could, be, it could be literally like July, and the Colorado Rockies are on a 40-game winning streak, and they'll be like, the third stringer for the Broncos today. Yeah. I mean, they don't even Seriously, think. Seriously, they, they were talking about Chad Kelly all summer. Exactly. That's the way they are so you are but Vic is old school like he said last week they asked him about are you preparing for the head coaching vacancies he goes I haven't spent one second on it I'm worried about the Eagles I love that Khalil Mack came out and said he's an evil genius and that other members of the Bears are saying he's a gangster he's like a godfather mobster yeah that's what I would say he is a little bit he is he's got that attitude where he he doesn't talk and he looks at you and he gives you some weird looks like the few times I've been around him he's like gave me the willies I'd be like, I don't think he likes me. <laughs> hey, Sims. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, Buccaneers, they do it. They pull the trigger. And they hire Bruce Arians, who, as you said before we started the show, is going, we're all in on Jameis. Yeah. The buddy cop of Bruce Arians and Jameis, where Jameis is already over the moon cocky, and all Arians does is give his quarterbacks cockiness. Byron Leftwich is going to be the offensive coordinator. The whole band's getting back together. Yeah. And as of report, as of recording this podcast, it looks like Todd Bowles will be the DC. It's not finalized yet, but the reason I think it is is Arians has already come out and said Bowles has wanted to come, and he's like a son to me. So you get the old Arizona coaching staff, Bowles now with the defensive coordinator. I love this team. I do too. I love this team. They're a team. This is a you know we, I know we've said it, but this is a this is a secretly good job as long as you were comfortable with the Jameis Winston situation, which he is. You know he'll be tough on Jameis, but yet also let him know that I'm in this with you. This is you and me together. That's what he does. That's why these like Peyton and Roethlisberger they all love him. I'm worried about him in that humidity. Oh yeah, he's gonna be flush. He's gonna Bruce Arians is gonna be sweating profusely every game. Yes, he will. It'd be good. I hope he gets cocky and starts really wearing like crazy clothes. Oh uh, well, I think that's where it is a great hire because I do think the Tampa Bay fan base it will love will love Bruce Arians. A little Gruden-esque. Little Gruden-esque. He's gonna dominate the press conferences. He's gonna say witty things. He's gonna say in your face type of things that not everybody might like or you know might not be or might dance on the edge of politically correct or whatever it may be. He's a real dude. I don't know him that well. I only know pe- stories from people I know, but. Uh, yes, I think that that Tampa fan base will really rally around him. I think I would think that's part of why they wanted him because they do have trouble selling seats there, and you know and they've the, had success with a personality-driven head coach. Exactly right. So but I, also, I but also it's a lot of you look there. at all the weapons they've gotten on that offense, uh-huh. and 
you know, it's been disappointing. They had like spurts with Monk in the beginning of the year with Fitzpatrick, yeah, but yeah. if Arians is a downfield passing attack, and that's Jameis's strength. It definitely is his strength. And and listen, Dirk Cutter's offense is a downfield throwing offense too. I mean, they're, okay. they're, they're, that's what they do. Um, but Arians is going to bring a different style and cockiness to the football team. I mean, hey, the Buccaneers were the third-ranked offense in football this year. Sure. Isn't that crazy? But, yes, they didn't win football games. They didn't win in any of the big moments. At the moments. same point, the that's Bucks were in like every game they They were in every game, year. no doubt about it. I mean, Hard the, team to battle. The biggest on. problem for the Bucks was the – the the time period of when their defense was just oh, absolutely they had like atrocious. Seven, they had seven weeks of the worst defense in the NFL. Right. So that was really the big issue. Uh, but I understand Bruce liking this job. He came out and asked about, you know, said he would love the Cleveland job. And that's it. I think these are a lot of the same similarities. Low expectations, right? The quarterback's there. Okay. And then there's some young budding stars there. The O-line is not bad in Tampa. The D-line is set. you got to... Carlton Davis, Vernon Hargraves, yep. you know, there's Some Evans, Godwin, O.J. Howard. Right, exactly right. So I think a lot of the hard stuff is done. Now they just need to fill in the little holes and gaps here and there. The other reason I like that job is there are some jobs where you're entering and the, the, the GM only has one leg. I think the Cardinals are like that, too, mm. where the next firing will be the GM, not the coach, because they're already in trouble. Like, people are already asking about Jason Light. So that it's you're kind of going in like, oh, I get the next GM, and then we get to build together, right. all that stuff. Yep. Let's go to Dirk Cutter, the yeah. new OC for Falcons. Good. What do you think? I like that a lot, too. And did, did Mike Malarkey come along with him? Did you see that? I haven't seen that. He was coming in, I think, as the tight ends coach, but I think that's a great combination. I think it might be. You know... Again, it's it gets a lot the, of former head coaches on your staff, which usually is a good thing. Usually is a good thing. It's going to be great for Dan Quinn, too, because he'll just be able to focus on defense. He's going to go, oh, I got veteran guys on that side of the right. ball. I'll stick my nose in just when I need to, but I know they're going to handle their crap over there. And it gets them away from the basic West Coast bull crap that they've uh. had, right? Uh, and, you know, Cutter, what he does offensively, I've always been a fan of it. And I am a fan of Mike Malarkey and what he can do with the run game. It, it is that combination there excites me. M- when Malarkey was there as the OC and some of those times, you know, that was uh, Michael Turner yes. leading their league in rushing, like holding the rushing. guards yeah. and let's bludgeon you. You know, so that could be a really good combination with their line, their running backs, and of course Ryan and the weapons. The Eagles are what inspired me to love coaching collaboration and not not trying to get everyone that's in the same system, but a bunch of different systems together. Yeah. And what you're seeing is the coaching staffs that really like embrace that, they have the variety. Yeah. And there is that difference. And, and then you see it on defense. What happened in Dallas this year? Chris Richard joining um, your guy, Marinelli. Yeah, Marinelli, right. And, and, and showing different looks. Yeah. Because what happens if you don't, you end up like the, the Seahawks, and you do the same freaking thing every play. Right. And it's easier to diagnose. Yeah. But when you get a little bit of Frank Reich and a little bit of DiFilippo yeah, right. and a little bit of Doug Peterson, Just you're enough. a different team every week. Exactly right. There's four, there's four or five wrinkles. They've all added to the game plan to where you go, But you wow. need a head coach that's not a afraid of collaboration because some people need the freaking credit yep uh browns hire freddie kitchens mm. here's my theory yeah if the browns lost freddie kitchens there would be a fan revolt yeah if i'm a fan of the browns and that jersey with all those quarterback names is finally put to rest because now all i need is a mayfield jersey 
And all year long, from hard knocks to the end, you've seen this special relationship blossom. Yep. Imitations on the sidelines, joking around about each other. It's very rare when a young quarterback and a coach truly form that special relationship. That if you brought in anybody else, that it might, you know, I don't know what Kitchens, if he was like, I'm not going to be the OC, but they couldn't risk losing that. And thus they felt maybe a little obligated to promote him. Well, I, I, but I, I also felt like his coaching in the last few weeks was deserving. Deserving. I mean, he he made the offense his. It wasn't like he just continued with – he like dramatically changed their formula of how they played. And it was successful. And obviously Baker Mayfield loved him. And it energized their whole offense. I mean, you, you know – You think Greg Williams is pissed? Uh, maybe. Disappointed. I mean, he probably gets it. Because this is where – like I think your theory is, is really – Probably spot on. If they lost Freddie Kitchens, Cleveland would have. Revolted. They would have been pissed. Or what I would say even to that more is, you bring in let's say let's just say they bring in a defensive head coach, right? And they keep Freddie Kitchens as OC. He has another good year. He's going to go somewhere else and be the head coach. Mm. And you're going to lose him. So then. either lose him this year or lose him next exactly. Year. So I, I think you. that's at the end of the day where they came with it. And yeah, he brought toughness to their offense. They ran the ball, the play actions, and Baker certainly played better football under his tutelage. I'll say this too: three coaches that that I'm excited because their press conferences are going to sound so much cooler. Like Vic Fangio, as you've been saying, is going to be like, I don't know what you guys are yeah. talking about. It's going to be great. Bruce Arians is like that Alabama, but also like Midwest. It's but like everywhere. Te- it's everything. He's in Jersey, too. And now man. we also have Freddie Kitchens. Yeah. Freddie Kitchens going to be the Alabama, yeah. the Alabama goodness. Yeah. And then Cliff Kingsbury, I don't know. You could literally bark like a dog, and I might think that's Matt LaFleur's voice. I have no idea what Matt LaFleur's like. If Matt LaFleur got up there and was like, Hi, I'm Matt LaFleur. Super happy to be the the Packers coach. I'd be like, damn, that's what Matt LaFleur sounds like. I have no idea what he sounds like. What does he sound like? Do a Matt LaFleur just I don't know. It's just hey, a Chris. normal guy. I don't even know what to say. Hey, Chris, <laughs> nice to meet you. It's not bad. I can tell you that. He doesn't uh, count. Uh, the NFC West is hilarious. I mean... What do we got? I mean, Shanahan, McVay, and Kingsbury, and then old man Pete up there? I mean, it's just funny. This, the Meanwhile, I feel that. like Pete has the most energy out of all of them. <laughs> right, right. Wow. Kyle, McVay, and Kingsbury together. Right. I know. It's going to be three like younger. all GQ team walking on the field to shake each other's hands, head it, coaches. It's, How's your stubble this week, guys? <laughs> I just think about McVay and Shanahan are like battling, and then Kingsbury's like, it's a three-way battle, bros. And they're like, let's just kick his ass and then focus on each Kingsbury, other. Kingsbury, when he was at the quarterback at Texas Tech, because we played against each other, he was the quarterback at Texas Tech when you were the quarterback at Texas. Yes, right. And he's throwing for like 6,000 yards a season. Yes. I mean, with Mike Leach. We lost my senior year at Texas Tech because Mike Leach went for it on fourth and down every play, the whole game. And Love they beat it. us. Cause Ahead it was of just, his time. Oh, it was just, it drove me crazy. I was just like, can we stop them one time? Because they couldn't stop us, but we couldn't stop them either. But yeah, uh, so Kingsbury, like I said, he's a great guy. And I've always known he had this potential once he got into coaching. Once I heard he was at Texas A&M and doing that, I was like, ooh. 
King Cliff will climb the ladder in a hurry. But yeah, Texas Tech in the off season, he used to come down to Austin, and you know we'd see him at the bar or whatever, and have a few drinks. And he it was I always like Cliff. He's a great guy. He really. So is. he would just come to Austin. A lot of people because would. who's going to be in Lubbock? Well, exactly. So he'd want to like come there, yeah, be a college party, kid. try to hit on our girls. What was it like to see him? Because you're the quarterback of Texas, and the Texas Tech quarterbacks on your it turf. was all right. I mean, I'm a, I guess you know you're a ball buster. I'm a ball buster. I'm also, I mean, I grew up as Phil Simms' son, so I'm never like, oh, uh, he's on my territory. Yeah. Or like, I'm just not like that. I mean, you know. Uh, That's just two alphas, though, in college. Yeah, but we were cool. I think, you know, I, alphas are cool with each other because they recognize alphas. I mean, yeah. I don't know. There was no, I was confident in myself. He was confident in That's himself. That's so funny. And it was just, I can still remember. We we're going to the drink. I think I saw him at the drink, it was called, on 6th Street. It was on the corner. That was our spot, the drink. And I remember walking in and going like, damn. Cliff Kingsbury. What the hell is he doing here? And just That's walking awesome. over to him and seeing him. Yeah. Um, the other thing I, I want to get. Wes Welker was with him too. Wow. I know, right? It's funny. Oh. Because he was a slot receiver. Man, Wes parties. Yeah. So they were they were cool though. Great dudes. Before we get into your film notes on all the games and thus helping us for tomorrow's betting show, we were talking on the set of the show yesterday, which I would recommend everyone go to YouTube. Uh, we actually, on the YouTube show, break down the real matchup of all four playoff games. So not just Mahomes versus Luck. What's the real matchup? I don't want to give it away. Yeah. Go on YouTube. Watch the show. Watch it. It's good. And we have a really good story from Lamar Woodley, if you're a Steelers fan, about how he won the Super Bowl. Right. Really, really cool. But, I wish I would have changed my Chargers-Patriots matchup just a little bit, but we'll get into that tomorrow. Yeah, get into it tomorrow. Yeah. I asked you if you had ever, like, did you actually write papers in college? Or were there just, like, PA or TAs writing your papers? Definitely I just not. always thought the quarterback could get right. away from right. it. And you said that the only paper that you've ever written was for your job interview with the Patriots. Well, I was being funny. I mean, I've written papers. I'm not that stupid, okay? Uh, okay. Yes. Now, Maybe. Now, I, yeah, first of all, at Texas, this is where, once I got comfortable at Texas, um, it's a huge school. The classes are huge, right? I mean, I didn't go to class very much once I got kind of in the ring. And once they trusted me and they knew they didn't have to check on me out of class, I definitely uh, didn't go. So I was very good like my first year and a half. I got straight A's my freshman year. And they're like, we're good oh, with Oh, we're good with Sims. We don't have to go check in, uh, yeah. on him in class. That's like me. Like I had to hold a certain GPA to get in a new house. And right. then I got it. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, man. and I would always pick the classes with the least amount of football players. I was like, I know I'm not going with those guys who ne- are in trouble all the time I, so they can check on me to see if I'm there. So you learned how to game the system. I learned how to game the system. I always found the big classes too, so I could kind of just melt in there. That yes. they knew they would. There was no attendance. You took, you took rocks for jocks, right? Like I was like, come on, class. I gotta play Halo and I gotta go play football. That's all I want to do. Okay, yeah. uh, um, so I would get tutors, is what I was gonna say at the end of the semester, and like cram a whole semester into like two and a half weeks. Yeah, but yes, I did a scouting report on my job interview. So my first question is, what is a job interview like with the Patriots? So you were going up there for what position? Do everything, watch Whatever the film, Bill take the notes. Bill says he wants me to do. Did you think you had a leg up because the coach of the Patriots coached your dad and you played in the NFL? This is after you retired with the Bucks. This is after? So, no, it's, yeah, I'm the Tennessee Titans in 2010, my last right. year, right? And That's what I meant. When 2011 came around, and I had some teams call, but nobody brobought me in, about late September of 2011, um, 
I started texting Bill, like, hey, I, my career might be done, and I'm looking you to get in. texted Bill yeah, Belichick? Yeah, I wasn't going to, like, have my dad call and ask for him. I'm just not that type of guy. Nor but you my didn't dad. call him. You texted him. I texted him. I got his number, and I texted him, hey, coach, this is Chris Sims, blah, blah, blah. I didn't want to call him. That would probably be more annoying. Any emojis? No. Winky no. face? <laughs> None of that. Okay. Uh, so I got on his radar there. And Did he just, respond? Uh, yeah, he did. He responded, and I, I just periodically would check back in. Hey, coach, great job the last week in the game. Hey, coach, congratulations on the playoffs. Is he? What kind of a texter is Bill Belichick? Just to the point, just like okay. you think he was. And then he, you know, it ends with a BB always, capital BB, just like in his hoodies. It says BB at the bottom. You ever notice on the hoodies? Because in the NFL locker room, they usually put your number on your stuff. I'm right? not interested in this. Yeah. So you're telling me that when Belichick texts, always BB. Yeah. So even if he writes yes, BB. It's going to be BB at the end, right? Wow. To say Maybe that's from... like his text signature. Yeah, right. Okay. That's what so, I feel like. So you go up there, yeah. and what did you expect, like an interview? Or are you kind of like, know they're going to give me expect. a handout? No. Oh, I'm, a, I'm an no. NFL quarterback. I knew I wasn't getting handouts. Okay. I knew that. Uh, and I knew I wasn't going to get any like bump in the job just because I had lived football my whole life. Yes. I knew like in the New England way I was going to get put down in the bottom and have to work my way up. And so at one point, they put you in a room. Yep, I'm up in the front office up there with like the pro personnel people. And they want you to watch film of two players and then write a scouting report. Right. Anthony, let me see. Spencer. Yep. Jab- no, you know who it was? It was Jabal Sheard. Okay? And... Damn, I'm going to blank out. You know what? why I thought it was Anthony Spencer? Because I pro player compared Jabal Sheard to Anthony Spencer. Pretty accurate. And I know they like that. Right. Um, wait, hold on a second. Who was the damn other guy that I picked? And these were guys in college. Yes, they were guys in college. It was two guys. And the other guy all hit me. But, yeah, I had to sit there. And you watched Jabal watch Sheard. A cli- watch a game, two games, and then write just a, you know, two, three-paragraph report on what that player was, strengths, weaknesses, and then sum it up all at the end. Did you write in cursive? Yes. Did definitely. they like? Did they comment on no, it? No, nobody commented on it. Okay. No. Um, and then, so you watched it, and yeah. you think you were pretty spot on. I thought I was pretty good. Yes, I did. Do you I think did. that's the reason that the Patriots got Jabal Sheard? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I, think, I think he was already on their radar. Um, but I, I think it was just more of a test to see where I was at, Football-wise, you know, they test you to see, like, can we have him dabble in the front office? If he is coaching, can he handle that? All those things. And I think that was just part of the process for them. Was it nerve-wracking? Of course. I mean, being there is nerve-wracking anyway. I was going to say, walking in the door, you're like, I'm being watched at all Well, And they're just not the type that makes you feel comfortable. If it wasn't for Nancy in New England, woo! Nancy was the only thing that brought a smile to my face on a daily basis. Is that a code word? Nancy is, no. Nancy is like the secretary of the front office, okay? Nancy is her name. There's nothing I like more oh, than learning about a new character. That's my girl right there. Now, Nancy, I don't want to put an age on her, but she's plus 60, I would say, at okay. this point, right? So she's somewhere jovial. in there. She is. But she might bring in cookies. Got a little little Boston edge about her that I loved. You know, me being a guy from Jersey, she yeah. wasn't afraid to throw some jabs out there, take a jab at you. Or, and what was she in charge of? Uh, basically just getting guys in to fly in that are going to be in the draft, the free agents that have got to come in and make sure we pick them up at the airport. Mm. She kind of manned all down she the logistics. The exactly right. She was the lady, and if I needed to get away from the craziness, I always would walk in her office and we'd have a laugh and a giggle. That was, What'd she call you? Uh, Tell me she called you Christopher. Uh, probably, yes. I love when old people call you Christopher. <laughs> yes, Christopher, yes. yeah. Nancy's the best, though. I mean, truly, uh, I still think about her all the time. 
Really? Yeah, I do. Just because. Send her a Christmas card. She's 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 my buddy. All right, let's get in the film notebook. All right, what I'm going to try and do with the film notebook is I'm going to try and focus. I hope she's plus sixty. I just you know. Yeah, that would be really. <laughs> it bad really would be. You can't do that. She's got to be right around there. I want to focus on the teams that are still alive. Yep. But I also think, oh, you know what? Before we do that, there's still three jobs opening. Yes. Jets, Miami, Cincinnati. Right. You hearing anything? You feeling anything? You guessing anything? The Jets, I do hear Matt McCarth- Rule is Baylor. in play there. Yes. Yes. From Temple to Baylor to New York? Yeah. Holy crap. I think he's in, in play there. What I still the think background Adam on Matt Rule? Matt Rule has really been more of a college guy. He played linebacker at Penn State. He's from up here in the New York area, um, but really uh, had a had a year or maybe two years under Tom Coughlin with the Giants. I'm not mm. exactly sure there. It's right around that range, one to three years somewhere. But you know, really, what I think people give him the most credit for is what he did at Temple. I mean, he gave them two ten win seasons in a row. They've never done that ever. Yes. So Robbie Anderson status. It's a. I think a tough, hard-nosed coach who understands the total scope of everything about football can kind of dabble on both sides and bring a toughness in, uh, to your football team. That, that is what I know. Adam Gase, I still think, is there in play for the Jets. Sure. Um, that's really all I know. I don't know about the Mike McCarthy thing. I haven't heard anything substantial about yeah, him being the like Jets. It sounds like McCarthy put out like an ultimatum. I'm only going to the Jets. It does seem that way. Miami. Miami, no idea. But hire the... There, there's a lot of great options out there. I mean, there's great Who? options. Okay. I mean. Oh, you got a list. Well, I do. I've got a list. And now, Chris Sims' official coaching list that other people probably aren't mentioning. Okay. So, first of all, the guy that took over when they fired du- Philbin. Uh, uh, Dan Campbell. Yeah. Well, well, he would be towards the top of the list for me. You want to talk about bringing toughness and detail to your yep. organization? Yep. He'd be the guy. Okay. And even though he's not a quarterback whisperer, there's lots of good OCs out there, like a Todd Monken or a Zach Taylor or my man Nathaniel Hackett, who made a Blake Bortles offense number six in football. Are you kidding me? If Nate Hackett doesn't get a job as an OC somewhere, people are effing crazy. We'll hire him as the Simpson Lefko OC. OC. So yo, you go talk about him. How about Brian Flores? You were talking about trying to. I. I don't know why that evaporated so quickly. And but I, I had heard substantial that he was very high on people's lists. Well, maybe maybe they're waiting because he's still in the playoffs. Maybe they are. Exactly right. But he would be another guy. You want to talk about bringing toughness and detail to your organization. Brian Flores is at the top of the list. Uh, Chris Richard, we know about yep. him. I would think about Don Wink Martindale, okay? Wink is just – all Wink is is Bruce Arians of defense. That's who he is. For people that don't know, Don Martindale is the defensive coordinator for the Ravens. Right. Now – the Dolphins are really crazy if they don't call it Mike Munchak. I don't know what to say there, but Mike Munchak, to me, with Josh McDaniels, would be like up there with the top guys of the list. And I know mm. Josh is out of it and he doesn't want to yes. do it. But Munchak certainly would be in that conversation. So there's a lot of different routes you could Miami's go here. Miami's an interesting job. Right. It's not that sexy right now. No, it's not that they sexy. They don't have depth really anywhere. They don't have the quarterback of the future. Yep. Their their wide receiver first-round pick, Devontae Parker, really hasn't kind of worked out yep. that much. No, I know. I don't know what's going on with Kenyon Drake. The offensive line's Albert been Wilson tattered. had a serious injury. you got a lot then... of money and some defensive players that I don't think are going to stick around that much longer. Yeah. Not a lot going on in Miami. No, it's a, that and the Bengals' job are not very. Yeah, what do you think happens? Well, in the Cincinnati? Bengals, I would say the same thing. Like no, I would stars put money are, on Hugh Jackson. I mean that that would be one of the dumbest things in but the history of American sports, along with Vance Joseph being there too. But I'm but I'm still betting on it. I mean it, because it, they're the Bengals. If that happens, I don't even know what else to say. I the, really don't. 
it, it's I'm telling you guys, not every team's trying to win the Super Bowl. So it's a lot just, of teams are just trying to sell tickets. Hey, you and know get my players. my man Rich Basaccia out yeah. with the Oakland Raiders. Again, he's a special Dave teams Taub, guy. Special teams, sure. Kansas City. I get that. You don't have to be a quarterback whisperer to have a head coaching job. Okay, you know they can hire other offensive coordinators, learn to manage a football game. I think that's Jim what's Caldwell. missed out on those things. Sure, exactly right. So. To me, it's those type of guys I would especially look at in Cincinnati because it's not the sexiest job. You do have to they deal with the discipline. Brown family. Yes, and they've been a little bit renegade-ish for the last few years. They need to change their the overall outlook. Few. Yeah, right. Holy crap. Right, holy crap. I'm glad right. you had a list. I didn't even prepare you for that. Yeah. All right, film notebook. I'm going to focus on the teams that are advancing, yeah. but at the same point— I feel like my notes were focusing on that, but maybe You know, though they were. Yeah, but then also putting the other team to rest. So I'm going to start off with uh, Colts. We're going to do chronological. Okay. Colts, Tennessee, and what you saw. Yeah. First thing that you really wanted to spotlight was the Indianapolis offensive line coach, Googs. Googs. Who is this guy, and, and and how much credit does he deserve for this young offensive line? Because I feel like the, the national media is giving a lot of credit to the players. Right. Like, I feel like they go, that Indianapolis offensive line's great. Let's all cheers Quentin Nelson. Yeah, it can't all be Quentin no, Nelson. No, no. The, the players are great, and, you know, to get the players there, Chris Ballard deserves that credit, first of all, you know, just with Quentin Nelson and the, the right tackle, Braden Smith. But Dave DeGilmo, DeGilmo, or whatever, mm. I can't even say it. DeGil- he, I don't know. I don't know either. He took over for Dante Scarnecchia in New England when Dante went out that the door one the first year time. Sabbatical. Right. So he um, very well regarded. Very then. well regarded. Very was he, well hold on, thought time out. out. Was yeah. he one of the guys that that Josh brought there? I, you know, I thought because about that he yesterday. Brought Eberflus. I know. I'm not sure about. I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. But this is what I'll tell you about what they do. Running games well thought out. They never waste running plays. They don't run into stupid looks or do anything like that. Pass protection, phenomenal. Man-to-man pass protection, not just let's slide and do this. Yeah. They, if you bring five, they figure out how to pick all five up with their five offensive linemen. They don't waste the back. It's little things I look at like that, and then little diverse things within the running game, and I go, ooh, that was a really good way to run that play against that front there. So and you can, give that credit to the offensive line coach. I, oh, yeah. He's the one that's going to, at the end of the day, the coach is He's really the one that's going to go to Frank Reich and a really smart organization, as I've told you with New England and Skarnecchia. Skarnecchia is going to go to Josh McDaniels and, and go, go, hey, there's this defensive tackle on the other team that I notice is really bad at putting his weight on his left side. Sure. That or... I think these six run plays are what we want to do against this front this week with their talent. And then mm. Josh would go, okay. And he'd start to build his and game plan he'd around synthesize that. synthesize around that. Exactly right. And I think that's the same thing that Frank Reich would do. But yes, I think it's a very well, it, it's talented, but it's very well coached as well. I'm a firm believer that Mike Tice hurt offensive line coaches becoming head coaches in this league. Because I think he was the most famous one for a while. Yes. And it didn't work yeah, out. Yeah. Really. And that offense went to being like super explosive to kind of. Yeah. Dying out. Also, he was just like not a great press conference coach because it was like, I think our guys are going to be. And not Mike Tice, please don't kick my ass. Yeah, please do. Oh, okay. I'd like to see that. I could <laughs> see how impressed you were with the Colts offensive line throughout your notes. Yeah. Writing things like, why blitz them? Luck is clicking. Even the tipped interception that Watt hit was going to be a touchdown if it didn't oh, get tipped. Right. I could see how impressed you were. Yeah. But you did spotlight. One possible weak link. Yeah. Glowinski. Yeah. 
And you think from your notes, I can tell that when Indy faces Kansas City, yeah. they might put Chris Jones right over Glowinski. What did you see against Houston? Yeah, I mean, it just if there's a weak link of the group, and it is Glowinski. He can, you know, he could have problems with JJ Watt last week or Clowney when he got over him. And I would just think again when they get into obvious situations and they don't have to worry about oh we have to put Chris Jones to the strength of the formation here because they want to run to the or whatever, and they can just go. We know we're getting to the quarterback. I would expect like third and long, right? Even. Anything like third and six plus. I would expect to see Chris Jones over Glowinski. What number is Glowinski? Do you know? Uh, sixty-four. I want to say. All right. Say so when you're watching list. the game, yeah, go. Is Chris Jones over sixty-four? It's a good thing to watch. Certainly. Let me just double check that to make sure I'm right about that, and I am. Okay. Okay. So that's one. That's one, one where that, I, I look found at, that very interesting. Right. Because what what Kansas City should do off of that is find ways to to make sure he stays singled up, right, in those situations. Don't let the center come over there and help Glowinski out to double-team him. If you do four-man rushes, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to find different little alignments that's going to stress the center from not letting him help out and double-team a Chris Jones. Uh, I'm going to put Houston to rest. Their defense still doing too much, still taking too many risks. And then on offense, you wrote, they really just waste plays all the time. Right. But the note that really caught my attention, you said, was Watson really needs to get off his first read faster. Yeah, because does. the future of that team is him. Right. So what are you seeing from Deshaun? Well, I, in that game, that was since Deshaun had the early season struggles, right, and then got it straightened out. I would say this was his worst game of the year since that point. He was off seeing the field, getting off of receivers. Yes, there was too many times where. First guy's not open. I mean, he's not open. He's not coming open. Get off it. Let's go to the next guy. How many times for him is his first read DeAndre? Uh, A lot of the times. And And, and what do they do against DeAndre? Well, they they didn't do anything special. They played their, you know, cover three, press bail for the most part, and they got those big corners up. But what they did, too, to take away some of the hitches and back shoulders is they would fly somebody out there underneath them at time, like a cover three where they could get underneath. He was hurt, too. He was hurt, too. Yes. but, But, But Watson. Yeah, but that was, yeah, it just... Didn't throw the ball great. Hey, think about uh, stepping up in the pocket. Remember where we had like the tight end going across yes. the field? He lost it. Like he missed a few of those type of throws where you're just like, damn, he hasn't missed a throw like that in ten weeks. Even the the throw in the end zone of DeAndre Hopkins exactly was right. so off. And I don't think he saw Marcus Hunt, who's the size of the building we're in right now, who had dropped out. Yeah. Right. To, they had a eight. They had a three man rush, and I don't I think do he that if I was saw him a lot. to the last second. He was throwing it, and I think he went, "Oh gosh, the big Estonian's there. Yeah. Let me try to go," and he missed it. So that was my point. He did not see the field well. He didn't throw it that well, and he certainly was on first reads too much. And to the point of wasting plays, you, you just that's I just. You just can't do it. Not do you play a football. You, you you can't have six. You can't have a seven man protection and two men going out on a pass route when there's seven guys in coverage and make it seven on two. That just that's a wasted play. If there's two deep safeties and they're playing coverage and you know it's coverage, you got to go to a play that's for that coverage or run the ball. That's where Who's they that waste on? plays. That's on Billy O'Brien and the offense for designing it that way. That's where I say they waste plays or they run the ball to the right and I want to go. There's nine guys over there. We're going to run it just because we called that? Yeah. That's wasting plays. That's what I mean by that.
Is that a Watson development to it the could confidence be too. to get up there and go, I'm going to change this? It could be. It could be part of the development where they just don't feel comfortable calling a ton of multiple plays in the huddle type of thing. A lot of different things that I don't know the answers to, but yes. I just know they waste plays. All right. The other side, Colts defense, because this is going to be very interesting. They're facing Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. You wrote the Colts, they're a hard team to run against. They fly around team speed. I think we know about that. They've yeah. got some big, good big guys at the front, right. speed in the back. But but then you started to kind of blast the Colts defense, and I really wasn't ready for it, but mainly saying that if you're going to beat the Colts defense, you need to spread them out and you need to throw it. And I'm reading that and going, well, Patrick Mahomes does that. Yeah. And then you wrote this. I don't think they've faced a top-passing offense all year. And it sounds like you stopped your notes, went to NFL Jesus, exactly. and looked at their schedule, I and did. then went, was the Giants the best pass offense they faced all year? Do you really believe that? I do. I mean, as far as like just – I'm going to pull them up right now. Yeah, go ahead. Talent, receivers, system. You know, I know Eli is, you know, Eli at this point. All right, so I'm just going to read them. Go ahead. Cincinnati, this is when they're healthy. So yeah. that was a pretty good offense. Yeah. Washington, no. Philadelphia, not at that time. Houston, not really. Not really, no. Patriots. Sure. Okay. That was but that was early in the year too. Jets, Bills, Raiders. Negative, re- negative, negative. Jacksonville, Tennessee, Miami. Negative, negative, negative. Jacksonville, Houston, Dallas. Negative, negative, negative. New York, Tennessee. Right. And New York does a little of everything and has at least some talent that can scare you in the They past didn't even game. have Odell for that. Exactly game. right. And yeah. they still let up twenty seven points. I'll self scout self here. I really thought the way to beat the Colts. Was to take advantage of some of their undersized defensive fronts at times and run the ball. But what happens is, what about the Texans made you realize this? Because what made me realize it was all the movement and speed they have up front, it's hard to sort it out all the time as an offensive line, right? Like, oh, I'm blocking the guy in front of me and I got to do this. But wait, he's slanting all the way over to another gap. And, oh, wait, now this guy's coming to my gap and I got to block him. And it's too hard to sort out in real time at times. Um, And because of that and their athletic up front and those two middle linebackers, they kind of win with chaos in their run game. They always have eight people by the line of scrimmage because it's that that Seattle-Dallas-type defense, right? So even if there's a hole, then they got – Eight guys at the line of scrimmage, and then hey, uh, the linebacker Leonard—he's really fast, and he fills that hole really quick, like a yeah. like a Ryan Shazier or somebody like that, right? To where you go, oh, well, they had him there, but damn, their team speed got him in time. And as I just sat there to watch more and more, and the second half, Houston started to spread them out. I said, "This is the way to do it." They have no top tier cover guys. I've been None. wrong about my evaluations. They have no corners that can play man to man. Really, they, did you ever? Argue the opposite. Of well, I, I argued that I thought some of the uh, – just I'm saying in a few weeks ago when I was saying I think you should run the ball right at them more. Mm. I think the, I thought they were getting off free and easy because of that. Plus you have not talented secondary and young linebackers who at times will mess up little things within their coverages. And, yeah, I think – Looking at a Kansas City Chiefs team who does that and running is not necessarily their MO, right? Yeah. That, uh, yeah, I would say that would be what I would do against the Colts, added to the fact that I don't think there's really a top tier pass rusher on that Colts D line. A lot of good, don't get me wrong, but not a top tier. No, there's not one guy that can wreck a game. Exactly right. 
Also, Mike Mitchell's now out. Exactly right. How big of a deal was that? Just from like, was he popping a lot in the Houston game? No, at all? not popping. He's just like he's at that point of his career where he's good. He does his job. Um, the great decline of safeties in the NFL is wild. Yeah, I know. I know. Like when him and then T.J. Wards of the world that are like they just he's fall. a top guy, and then all of a sudden he doesn't exist anymore. It's a brutal position. It's like running back. It's running back. It's just there's so many high impact collisions for so guys that are really me about not guys that like big. Derwin James. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. He's a bigger human than those guys, though. So I get done now. I'm going to synthesize your notes into my brain. Cool. I get done reading your notes about Colts Texans, and I go about the Colts. The offense is going to have to put up 42 points in this game. Maybe more. Something in that range. Because I got done your defensive notes and I went, man, a zone team that's all about creating chaos up front against a team like the Chiefs who are going to spread you out. And it's away, and the Colts are not that great of an away team. Right. My question for you would be, how do you think the Chiefs' offensive line will handle all of the movement? I, I mean, in pass pro, I have no doubts they can do that. Chiefs are a good pass Chiefs are game. a good O-line. They are. They, they're, they're good. they could be good at the run, too, if they just were a little more patient with it. But um, I do think they'll be able to pass protect. And, yes, there's no, there's no eliteness to the secondary of the Colts, and there's no eliteness schematically either. They're just sound, and this is what we do, and we're going to go from there. And, yeah, that will be something I will certainly be interested to see how that plays out. How do you feel about the Colts' offense against the Chiefs' defense? Save it for tomorrow. Yeah, that's all right. It's, a, it's, it's honestly What's it's, similar to what I just said for the other side. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be interesting there because, yeah, I, I mean, the crowd will play a, definitely a, more of a factor in this game for this Colts O-line. All right, let's move on to crowd Dallas goes. and Seattle. And most of the notes here are Dallas. Most of your notes for Seattle were this. It's so basic. This is so boring. What an awful game plan. What are they doing? Yeah. That's what it felt like to read your well, Seattle notes. Yeah, I mean, to in a nutshell, yes. I mean, that's what they want to do. They wanted to make it that way. It wasn't like they went, you know, th- this is the way they've played all year. Run the ball, pound the rock, pound the rock. Russell, make a few plays when we get some man-to-man and let it go and throw a bomb down the field, whatever it may be. Yes, the, the pass game is uninspiring. And to all those out there who also want to just go like, you know, they ran it too much. I get it. Maybe they did run it four or five too many times. But if they threw it too much, they would have had no chance. They would have had no chance. Don't be fooled by the last drive of the game where they went down real quick and Dallas changed the way they were playing and they played different prevent defenses. They could not block the Dallas front. Not even, definitely not in the pass game. They could barely do it in the run game, which they're pretty good at. Wow. Yeah. All right. Now, Dallas, your notes were very similar. You're, you were so taken aback at how elementary Dallas made their offense. Yeah. That at one point you wrote, you're not going to run crossers against Seattle? You thought their offense was way too simple, and it gave me a lot of fear. Yeah. It, it, that, but you know what's weird about it? It was too simple. I think they thought they were just going to go over there and overpower the Seattle Seahawks. But- Why would you ever think that you shouldn't coach more, but instead just rely on something? Yeah, no, I, I exactly right. And what happened was Seattle said, 
you know, we're not really scared of all those weapons on Dallas. Like, as long as we don't let Amari Cooper run go routes over our head, we don't really care about the rest of you. So they played, Seattle played a little bit more man than they usually do because I think they were going, we're not going to let this run game. And Pete Carroll was on their butts all week about stopping the run, stop the run, stop the run. Yeah. And they took a few chances that maybe they wouldn't have in the regular season and pass coverage. But yes. But you I, didn't see them start doing interesting concepts till like the third quarter. When they went down, what was it? 14, 14 to 10. 10. Game changed. I said, where the where the fuck has this formation been the first three quarters? We need another Sims quote right. about, because it reminds me of the Eagles too. You don't have to just start coaching when shit's going bad. Right. You can coach the whole game. Exactly right. And Dallas was like, oh no, now we're going to have interesting concepts. Yeah, well, see, it's like... You gotta throw some. I'm all for for being like this is what we're good at. Let's do it, and we're really good at it. But you have to throw a few sprinkles here and there just to make the defense think, the players on the field, and the coordinator on the other side of the field when he's going. Damn, the last time they got in this personnel mm. set, they ran that formation, and I wasn't expecting it. So I can't call the defense I want to now because they do run this formation this week, and I haven't seen them do it, mm. and now I'm a little stressed. So that that would be my point there. Amari fucked up the screen early in oh the game. Oh my gosh, what, probably going to be a walk-in touchdown. I don't know what he did. He could have gone inside where the screen with the offensive line was building, but he went outside. Got to stay reason. on the numbers. Got to stay on the sidewalk. That's what you would say in the NFL. Stay on the sidewalk. The sidewalk is where the numbers are. There or the linemen are going to come out and clear it out to where you go inside and go up the sidewalk. But he panicked and saw some color flash, and he went, oh, no, and he ran outside and ran into the defenders. Great. Yeah. Now, yeah. using your notes to look ahead to Dallas Rams, mm-hmm. you wrote Looney and Williams. So this is like whoever's playing left guard. Yes, left guard and center. Looney's the center. Looney's the center. Yeah. So pretty much you said that you could see the Chiefs putting Chris Jones over Glowinski. You're like, Aaron Donald is going to live over the left guard and center in this game. No doubt. I mean, again. It's still a weak link. In obvious situations, yes. They're going to live there. Those are the, you know, and I I don't want to. Didn't play great? They played okay. I don't want to say they're bad players. Connor Williams is going to be a good starting guard in the NFL. Rookie. He's a rookie. Exactly right. And Joe, but at this time of the year, he's a second-year player. But Joe Looney is like he's a kind of a career journeyman, right? Um, but, yes, I would think that the Rams watch that and go, man, when we get them in a few situations where we know we can put Donald there and be okay, they're going to do their best to make sure he's matched up with Connor Williams or Joe Looney. Dak with pressure in his face is scary to me. Yeah, yeah. Because he is prone to do some some bad things. He is. Uh, the other thing that you said, you wrote in your notes, and then you told me beforehand, Sean McVay with the week off, and what they probably did about scouting Dallas already. Right. You kind of, in the middle of your notes, was like, oh, I just had a thought. Yeah. What did you think? Well, I just, I sat there and I thought, wait, okay, wait, what, you know, I just... I don't even know why I went down this wormhole, but I just thought, man, okay, Rams are playing Dallas. How is that going to match up? As I was just watching the film, and then I said, wait, who did the Rams have to prepare for this week? You know, because you got to prepare for three teams. You know, they knew they weren't going to play. They're the two seed. They weren't going to play the. They six. knew they weren't going to play Philadelphia, so they didn't. They can wipe that away, right? 
But they've already played Seattle twice. Who could have came into town? So they don't even really need to study up on film because exactly they've already right. done it twice. They're good, but they got plenty of Another inventory. team is Chicago. Right. And they've already faced Chicago. Five weeks ago they played. So they them. already have preliminary game plan stuff there. Exactly right. I would think two to three days are spent on the Dallas Cowboys. Just w- in case. Just in case. Because you just got to play that card. And just me being in New England, I know that was the same approach we had there as well. Uh, yeah, I would think. So that, in a way, you think the Rams have already had a few days of preparing for yeah, Dallas? Yeah, scares me a little bit. Does scare me a little bit, definitely. Um, but yeah, that that was just something that came to mind. Other thing we have to talk about those big those runs by Zeke. You know, damn, those were huge. Oh, like, like right the run the, the, end the half? Of the half. Yeah. And when, just, the, when they crashed for the inside run and he bounced the right, outside. Right, and I wrote, like, you know, I, I don't have pity for you when your corner is your edge setter. Like It's like I don't have pity for you when you get sacked because you had a tight end blocking Khalil Mack. Right, I don't have pity for you when Anthony Barr's covering Robert Woods 70 yards downfield. Same type of thing. It's our duty yeah. to show that they have bad coaching. Exactly right. Exactly right. You also wrote, though, damn, the Cowboys never put a game away. No. No, I mean, they, they, they live on, on uh, crushing two-point losses. Gosh, I mean... <laughs> It's crazy. You look at the game and you go, they're dominating the game, and then you look the scoreboard flashes and you go, they're losing six to three. What? I mean, it's insane. So there were there were three things in this game that scared me in my Monday prediction that the Cowboys upset will be good. The three things: one was the Connor Williams versus Donald thing. Yep. Two was. Um, that the Rams studied a lot in the off week. That scared the crap out of me. <laughs> but the other thing was a compliment for the Cowboys' defense. You wrote, man, the Cowboys have team speed, and they're aggressive, and when they diagnose something, they're going to kill you. And then you wrote, so you got to do misdirection. Sean McVay. Yeah, is Johnny misdirection. Is Sean misdirection. Yeah. Sean Mc- misdirection. <laughs> and... <laughs> I just read that and I went, they're going to use the over-pursuit of these linebackers and they're going to be chasing jet sweeps one way and counters the other way and and the Rams are going to do fake screen, fake screen, bubble screen. Like, if the Cowboys are so aggressive and that's their nature, this could end up being really bad. Yeah, I mean... Because they're going to go, they're going to watch the film and go, we can kill these guards. We can destroy these guards. Let's blow up the B-gap. Yeah. And then the Rams are going to go... Please blow up these guards. That that's what I read. That last yeah, thing. I, that, I hear you. And hey, don't jump the. You know, if we were, if I had a chance to watch turn the Rams, my whole bet right. Well, now. no, if I had a chance to watch the Rams, I would also probably have written down things to go. Oh, this could be an issue for the Cowboys. Like we, we know that the kid, there, there's a lot of areas the Cowboys match up with the Rams too. But we were watching the Cowboys. Yes, those things scare me. And McVeigh, I would think his number one thing would be finding ways to take away the aggression of the Dallas Cowboys defense and slow down the speed of their football team. You know, just like your Doug Peterson, who I know we'll talk about in a second, but, you know, middle screens to the tight end, wide receiver screen, running back screen. That's what he did to the Bears. So now they're rushing upfield, and they're going, oh, damn, the screen went by me for 30. Am I right to say there's two ways to attack a defense with athletes? There's either max protect or misdirection. Yes, those two feel like the two things that you can do. Yes. And well, I don't like ma- Max Protect. No, I don't like Max, max Protect. It's almost, it's almost like what you said Houston did. Yeah. Where it's like, we're going to have two receivers. That's dumb. Two ag- you got to make an aggressive defense think and give them window dressing. And then, yes. Get Aaron Donald to run upfield right. to then use that lane. Exactly right. you gotta, you got to do those type of things to that, that type of football team. I, I read your notes and I go, we have a real coaching mismatch in this game. 
I really I felt that. I went, Dallas offense and defense is up against it with Sean McVay and Wade Phillips. It's gonna be interesting. It's I like it sucks because I feel like both of my my games like already I'm like huh. I feel like I'm going opposite. I mean, you know, my I also think I, I would think the Cowboys could run on the Rams still though. Just just so you know. I do. And I don't think the Rams you know can what play a ton of man-to-man with Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib either. I think, yeah, but as you said, yeah. who are they going to be afraid of? Yeah, I know. I know. Who are you afraid of? Blake Jarwin? But they've kind of changed, so we'll see. You're right. I know. I know. Yep. I still think can, I, can I tell you what the key to the game is in my mind? I'm yeah. going to say this again on tomorrow. Yeah. The key to the game is going to be, is Jared Goff feeling confident? Or is Jared Goff pooping his pants? Because if he's confident... Because if Dallas is getting after him and he's scared, I don't know, man. Well, then I would tell you the key to the game is really Sean McVay, and he better find well, ways yeah. to make golf confident, right? And that's what you do, though. You throw those screens and things like that. Like as you always talk about, like a basketball player that gets free throws. Seven points saying. a lot, though. Yeah. All right. Is it, is it is? Seven I, points? I think so. Damn. I know, right? Wow. Betting is hard. It Betting is. is hard. All right, let's go to Chargers Baltimore. Uh, so this was the Sunday uh, game. I'm going to focus. Let's put Baltimore to rest. Okay. Uh, you said that man, Baltimore's wide receivers are so slow. It's something they have to address in the off season, which is so funny because they went out last off season and got Crabtree, yeah. and got Snead, and got John Brown, and John Brown and Snead were not slow before. No, well, Snead, we haven't really seen Snead in two years because. He was suspended by the Saint in the NFL. Wasn't utilized. Wasn't enough. utilized. But no, he's definitely lost a step. I don't know what happened. I don't know if there's. I know he did have a leg injury at some point, but no, just he's lost it. And John Brown ain't scaring anybody either. It's just the way it is. I don't know either what to say. I feel like ever since John Brown, you know, pulled his hamstring for the seventh time in Arizona, he never regained his explosion. Just sucks because he had an all-time nickname. Yeah, and you know, Smoke. early in the year when he was fresh and everything was good, he still looked like, oh, okay, sure. hey, he's got a little pep in his step, but, man, nada. The Negative. other thing you wrote was, Lamar Jackson is very inaccurate on short routes. Yeah, he well, he was just he was inaccurate in this game. I don't want to say that always. I just oh, meant yeah. he was off target. Like uh, the first interception he threw, right? It was a slant to the left. I can't remember. It might have been Willie Sneed there, but yeah, I mean, that type of throw against that type of defense who's fast and the windows are small. like And play zone and watch the quarterback. Exactly right. So yeah. the ball's got to be placed. You know, he threw the ball up here high to where the guy could barely get his hands on it, pops in the air, interception. Yeah, I mean, it was not Lamar's best game. Um, but he also did do some really great things at the end and made a few plays, too, to, to give him a chance. Chargers-wise. Yeah. Their D their D front whooped that ass. Whooped that ass. Can't believe it, and they did. And then you said when it was third and long, you you kind of were like I could I could tell sometimes when you're like I would be afraid if I was out there against this unit because when they put their team speed out there and it's the fast linebackers and and Ingram and Bosa with their ears pinned back, I could tell that you were very impressed with their speed. Woo! Yeah, when they go obvious pass situation and go Ingram, Rochelle, Bosa, Uchana Nwosu, I mean, man, that is... I think is Rochelle is like a very underrated... Very, body. right. He's going to get paid some by somebody yes. here. Yes, I mean, he is like the ultimate, like, you know, second-tier defense end. huge. That will start for somebody else and be really good. Yeah, they were phenomenal there, and they made sure one of those... I, I just got to say this right off the bat. 
Melvin Ingram. Oh, I was going to get to that next. Okay, so I won't go uh, there. No, no, no. Let's do it right now. Yeah. You you wrote originally, this may have been the best game that Melvin Ingram has had. Right. And then later in your notes, right. you wrote, holy crap, this may have been the best game of any player in the NFL all season. More than an Aaron Donald four-sack game, more than a Khalil Mack game, or the best of Fletcher Cox or Chris Jones, you believe that Melvin Ingram against Baltimore may have had the best defensive player game all year. He was just off the charts. He owned Orlando Brown. He owned Ronnie Stanley. He double-owned Hurst in the middle, or Bozeman when he came in because they benched Hurst because he couldn't block. You know, that's what they did. They did the same thing. They said, oh, you're Winkling, the left guard, Hurst? Huh. Every time it was an obvious pass of the situation, it was Bosa over him. It was Ingram over him. It was a huge issue in the football game. But regardless, Ingram was not going to be stopped. He was a man on a mission. And I, yes, I am saying it that boldly. It was the best game I saw from anybody in the front seven all year in football. He was everywhere. Run game, pass game. He was unbelievable. And I also give Gus Bradley the credit too because Gus let him tee off in the run game by having guys. He, The thing I think that changed from this matchup compared to the last matchup is they didn't make their DNs worry about the read option a whole lot. There was they a said, few plays. You get the running back. We got safeties that can handle. Lamar. We got guys that are athletic on the edge, right. and we'll they'll be there. But you crash, and when it was like a second and four, and you thought, oh, they're gonna run it up the middle with Gus Edwards, you know, they get Bosa and Ingram would get wide, and whoever didn't have the tight end on their side, they would go right down the line of scrimmage full speed, and just as the running back was getting the ball, boom, he was going to the ground, no no gain. Or Probably one caused a lot of those fumbles. Yeah, well, yeah, he caused the fumble. He recovered the fumble at the end of the game. Uh, that's, that's So shout out to our, our good buddy Melvin Ingram. Melvin who, Ingram, you're not the best friend we know, but I you're still, damn good. Still a little sore. Oh, that was he the smacked best me in the chest. That was Melvin the Ingram never had played Jenga before. <laughs> Neither did uh, I. So that was, that was cool to read. Yeah, I think... It, it gave me a lot of excitement about the Chargers-Patriots game. Yeah. Um, when you see someone have an all-time performance, how do they normally follow it up? Well, I think with this team, they, they're going to feed off energy. They're going to continue to go. Now, they're going to be playing a different team this week. Who are The first thing they're going to do is go. Yeah, like what do you think Belichick thought when he saw that Melvin Ingram performance? We can't let 54 or 99 ruin the game. And then the game plan grows from there. That's the first thing. What are we going to do to protect Tom? Okay, and let's grow from there. Which is, okay, <laughs> this is my biggest issue with coaching is that there are some times where fans can come up with concepts that NFL coaches don't do. So when I read your Cowboys notes mm-hmm. and I, the Seahawks notes and I go, nothing was specialized. All of it was, this is what we do. It infuriates me because Gus Bradley went out there and said, I'm going to throw everything out the window. It's playoff football. I'm putting seven secondary guys out there, and I'm specializing a game plan. Yeah, right. The – it's just it's like it's like playoff basketball. We know who your weakness is, and we're going to attack your weakness every play. Exactly. It's not about what we do or what we're trying to establish. You suck at this, and we're going to put all. Oh, you have a bruise on your arm. I'm going to put all of my weight on that bruise. Right. And the good coaches do that. Right. And the other coaches go, well, we need to establish the run. Exactly right. Lefko. Screw your establishing anything. I know. 
It's a matchup game. Yep. And so when Belichick goes, what do we need to stop on? What do we need to do on offense? Prevent these guys. Okay. What do we got to do when we're on defense? Well, we need to attack this offensive lineman. I, I don't know. know. I it know. Just makes, it makes too much sense to me. I know. It drives me crazy, man. I, I don't know what to say either. I mean, you're in the same boat with me. See, this is what happens when you start to learn football. You start to go, damn, these guys are dumb sometimes. Well, you know why? Because it's the ultimate. This is why I think the Nick Foles conversation frustrates you so much. In the haves and the have-nots. And what I mean by that is you are one of the haves. You have experience playing. You have experience coaching. You have an understanding of how to watch film. I watch games, and I still need to text you what the hell just happened because I'm not noticing that they've run the same run play. I just go, they're running it to the left again. Right, right. I, I, I can't pick it up that quickly. Right, right. But with Nick Foles... The have-nots are on an equal playing field as you. Sure. I do not have any of that experience, but me and you are both sitting there going, I don't know how Nick Foles is doing this. <laughs> so it, for a weird time, we're equal. Yeah. Because you have no understanding, and I don't either. And then you and me, or Johnny at the bar, they can go, you were wrong, I was right, Nick Foles did it again. And you're like, you have no understanding of why, who, how, what, or when. Right. But that craziness happens. Yeah, and football is crazy. It's one game. It's yeah, it's right. It's not a series. And it's not a perfect. The truth game. will not set you free. There's been a lot of NBA. Fi- the Sixers beat the Lakers in 2001. Yeah, that's right. For the first game, and then lost the next four. Right. But if it was the NFL, the Sixers would have been champions. I know. But the NFL's the NFL's crazy. It is. It's, it's crazy. a coin flip league. It's crazy. So many variables that play into all of it. No doubt about that. Uh, Chargers, other side of the ball, them on offense. Here's where the concerns come, and I went from liking the Chargers at plus four and a half, and I know. now I'm not so much. Mm-hmm. You are very concerned about the Chargers' pass offense. It hasn't been good, and you're like, damn, is the are the wide receivers too slow? Yes. You know, it's funny. I had this conversation with my dad during the week because uh, we kind of both had said the same thing the last few weeks. We were kind of just like, you know, the Chargers just – Rivers' arms look tired. His arm looks tired. Uh, the receivers, when you watch them on film, even the last game of the year when they played the Broncos, I watched it. I mean, it's just – I was just going, damn. I mean, Benjamin doesn't look as fast. Neither Williams look as fast. You know, I think I wrote it in there. Like, my question was, like – Maybe too many deep routes from the whole year. I thought year that of was amazing. You wrote you wrote in the notes. Are they running too many deep routes in practice? Right. Which is like, when do you ever think about that? Yeah. But that's attrition. It it is. It's just it's attrition. And the year what can made catch you up ask you. that? Because I just thought, man, what is going on here? Why do they not look as explosive to me as they did early in the year when I was really going like I think this might be the best wide receiver room in all of football and now I'm going, damn, they can't separate from anybody man to man. So I just go through things in my mind through my experience and whatever else just to go, wait, could it be that? Could it be this? Because oh. you say they usually run like a three-level concept. So one guy's always going deep. Yes. They're, they're amazing at deep, intermediate, short. And they usually kind of work the middle of the field for the most part, other than the occasional, okay, throw it up to Mike Williams on the sideline or here and there. But they live in that area for the most part, those levels down the middle, all three levels. Um, But the offense has been underwhelming lately. I just don't know any other way to say it. And I am a little concerned about it. I am because, you know, the Patriots have a really good secondary and they have two shutdown quarters. And that's where I get concerned with it. That's what I was thinking. Right. Added – 
to one thing that was exposed on the game film this week with the Chargers, which you know I knew was going to be a something that gets exposed eventually. Eckler. Exactly. Third down, Austin Eckler's their third down back because he's a good pass catcher. Unfortunately, according to your notes, not a great pass blocker. No, and Baltimore said, oh, you're going to keep Eckler in on third down? Well, we'll blitz the back every time so he can't even go out in the route because we don't want to have to deal with covering him. But let's see if he can block C.J. Mosley when he gets a 12-yard head start and runs into him full speed. Oh, no, he can't, right. So we're going to so continue. So was that bad? It was bad. And, you know, Baltimore— and you even believe that the Patriots purposely get big linebackers for this reason? Oh, I don't believe it. I know this. This is what I know. Oh, this is from, like, this in the is, walls. This is from the walls. I All mean, right, so give it to Even me. the Giants' years. I just know this. That's part of the reason Bill believes in big linebackers, that because when you, when you want to get and put in your 190-pound third-down running back— Okay, well, yeah, he might make some plays in the pass game, but when we kind of figure out your protections, is he going to be able to block Dante Hightower the first time he comes in there full speed? No way. And that becomes an issue for a football team. So, yeah, that, that aspect worries me. I, you really have to, be, you have to be conscious of that this week if you're the Chargers. Maybe Melvin Gordon might have to play more than anticipated. You might even have to just put some other fullbacks or running backs in there to be the third down back at times if you're really looking to throw the ball down the field for chunk yardage because they, I promise you, are going to find a way to get their linebacker you know, running full speed at that small running back. It sounds like you wrote like the last few defensive coordinators the Chargers have faced all have a really good feel for their offense. Yeah. And then when I couple to like no one's going to have a better feel than Bill. I know. The, the, the thing that's screaming out to me and I'm looking up right now mm-hmm. is the under in this game. Mm. Because I'm hearing you tell me that the Chargers offense is getting predictable. Yeah. And when I know the Patriots have such good corners in the back end now that all those concepts aren't going to work. And then I also see that you write down that the Chargers have amazing team speed on the defense. And I think about the Patriots offense lately. Yeah, right. It's scre- You're right. It does scream under. It's screaming under. It does scream and under. And I just right. I want to look at really quick what I'm seeing. And right now the over under for the game is 47. Mm. So it's a little bit low. It's the lowest over under of the weekend. Is it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right now, Indy Kansas City is 57. Whoa. Yeah. But 47. It's already a little bit low. And it started off at 47. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'd still probably be thinking under there. I mean, that might be the Sims and Lefko bet that we don't actually make, but yeah, but make I might a make lot that with my friends. Makes makes a lot of sense, but yeah, I am. I'm just saying, and it's in New England. You go towards the end of the year, the Bengals game. Also, hold on, really quick. Yeah, yeah. This game's at 105. I know. How fucked up is it to have a West Coast team in the playoffs? Like time out. Yeah. I'm just realizing. Lefko, this. but just before you go down this road, they just did it this week and they won. Okay. Yeah. It's still fucked up. I, it's so fucked up. It's a 10 a.m. game for the Chargers? It's fucked up. I mean, like, this, we've been complaining about this for two years. You're the one that really started to get me on this like two and a half years ago. Because they usually like, sleepwalk through the first quarter. But that's also a regular season game. Yeah, it's a different animal. I get that. But it is still. I mean, hell, damn, think about what they had to do. They had to go to Baltimore, fly back to California, and now they're coming back to New England, and they're going to play a 10 o'clock game. Literally all of my bets are changing today. <laughs> this is not good. We're going to end up with the same bets again. This is what happens every year. But I, I leave your notes and I go, I could tell you're very impressed with the Chargers' defense yeah. and that their speed hasn't declined. But from your notes on their offense, yeah. their offense is a little bit too predictable. Yep. Their wide receivers are getting slow. They have a problem blocking pass-rushing linebackers on third down. and that They need a healthy Melvin Gordon. 
this week. He rested on purpose today. And they got to get him run. They got to get running the ball. They really do. That's going to be a part uh, a part of the game that they're going to have to be patient with that certainly. And I think they will because Anthony Lynn is a ex running backs coach and he's very good at doing that. All right. I thought that was one of the good things they did in this game is even though they knew they weren't really running anywhere, they kept running it. They yes. just they were going to go. Okay, we're going to chew clock up. We're not going to let you just tee off on Philip Rivers in our past game. Yeah. So you can create some crazy fumble or whatever it may be. Uh, before we get to Philadelphia and Chicago, and thus looking at Philadelphia and New Orleans, two quotes from Sean Payton that have come out in the last while we've been recording. Mm. One saying that letting Malcolm Jenkins leave was a big mistake. Mm. And I would agree with that. You yeah. know, Malcolm Jenkins has played every snap this year. Uh, it's a boss. You know what hit he doesn't get enough credit for? Knocking Brandon Cooks out of the Super Bowl. You're right. He really doesn't. That was a game changer. Like, I'm an Eagles fan, and I celebrate all the hits of Brian Dawkins. Knocking the number one receiver out of the game was a huge game changer. Maybe the biggest hit in Philadelphia history. No. What was bigger? Bill, um, uh, Chuck Bignarek, Frank Oh, Frank Gitter, You're right. That does win. I mean, you know, that's why I'm here, to remind you about that, the history that was, of the NFL. That was a pretty good one. I mean, it's literally him over and being like, I knocked you the fuck <laughs> out, I think I, I think I, I knocked his fucking head off. <laughs> which I would also say... If you're a football fan and you like Sims and Lufko and you haven't seen the original Longest Yard yeah. with now that R.I.P. Burt Reynolds, right. but not the Adam Sandler crap, the original. It's great. It was it, it was the first time my dad looked at me and was like, this is one of my favorite sports movies. Yeah, it's a good one. Very good it movie. It really is. The other quote from Mr. Sean Payton. Hmm. Sean Payton went into the Saints locker room with the Lombardi Trophy on top of $225,000 in cash, which would be the Saints player Super Bowl bonus, and said, do y'all want this? Win three fucking games. I told you that Sean Payton is a master player motivator. He knows exactly what they want. So the fact that I know that he has the old Super Bowl trophy in the locker room and I don't know how he got $225,000 of cash. Well, he has it. Yeah, but I'm just saying you don't go in a chase <laughs> and go, can I hold two hundred and twenty-five? dollars <laughs> yeah. Like, you don't, like there's, a, there's a limit on the ATM. Well, I mean, is Orny down there still? I, gotta, I don't oh, even yeah. know. If Orny's down there, Ornstein, he might have two thirty in his pocket. But he's got <laughs> – so there's two hundred and twenty. Because it's funny, like, how many coaches bring out a hurdle? And go, you're going to face a lot of hurdles, man. Or they put an axe. Keep chopping, man. Sean Payton goes, Super Bowl, a quarter of a million. That's what you're playing for. Win. Yeah. It's awesome. It hits you home. you sat back in your chair and because got that's excited. That's awesome. Because, you know, you got to think of the guy who's playing, making the league minimum. And he's going, I'm going to get, like, more than a quarter years of my salary here if we can just win the next three. Like, all of that. That's what's great about the NFL playoffs. It's where it's different about all the other sports. The NFL, yeah, there's guys being paid, but there's only a handful that are being really making big money. NBA, you got like eight of the thirteen guys Come are on. living great. They're making they're making three dollars three million dollars a month. They're, the playoff money is like what? I'm gonna go piss this away and yeah. throw it on the street. Who cares? Yeah. You know, it's a different it's just different manner and demeanor in football. It's you know not to be a jerk to the other sports because I know they work hard, but it's a more of a lunch pail workman's type sport that way. I don't think the other sports would be upset. Okay. I think they'd look and go, you guys are crazy for doing what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, right. I just sport. don't want to take credit. I know they work hard, too. It's just, it's the human element of sports that when it gets to the professional level, you just think they're playing for the name on the front, and I you know. go, holy crap, there's a large check 
that could be motivating these guys to play. Right. And no one talks about that. Nobody talks I, about that. No one ever goes after the game, and the winner gets 100000 and the loser gets 50000 and it's, like, so primal. I know. I can still remember in Tampa – the year after the Colts won it in 2006, we signed Cato June, the linebacker. Yeah. And he had this amazing, like, I don't even know what it was. It was a four-door Mercedes that was like V27. It had like 27 cylinders, and it could fly to the moon. And I was like, damn, that car is amazing. And he looked at me and went, that's my Super Bowl money. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Right. Uh, it was an awesome And car. is it the same amount for everybody? Is it 225 for everybody? So yes. Drew Brees gets 225? Everybody. And- if you win, every, every week is going to go incremental, right? So the wild card winners last week, I think, got probably like, I want to say maybe 20000 right? Everybody got a $20,000 check when they were in the, the locker room Monday. Now, that's this fun. week, it's going to go up to like thirty five or forty. You know, and then the championship a little more, and then the Super Bowl. I think the Super Bowl winner, I want to say, gets like eighty-five thousand, and the loser gets like thirty something, something around there. So wow. those are huge. That's a huge swing for guys because you're playing an extra game, so it's a little bonus. Yeah, and that's like league mandated. That's league mandated. That's exactly not like right. team by team. No, no, it's it's league mandated. And of course, that's why NFL owners love to make the playoffs. Because you're not cutting Drew Brees in a million dollar check after the game either. You know, in the regular season, he's got to cut. Drew Brees is making thirty million dollars. I got to cut him two million dollar check every so week. So all Drew, Drew Brees is getting twenty thousand dollars for a wild card win. Exactly. That's it. He's not getting any more. Everybody's getting the same. So the owners are killing it in the playoffs. That's why they really love to get there. That, that's really what gets missed. They don't get paid normal salaries. No. They're non paid in the playoffs. You're non paid. It's playoff money. This is just bonus money. You want it? There's a big trophy. In 225 in cash to go get it. And Drew Brees is like, what's 225? Yeah, it's nothing. I made 38 million. He's like, but if I win another Super Bowl, every time I sign my autograph, I'll get 225,000. They're they're sitting there and like, they they get to do like speaking engagements for the rest of their lives. Forever. Right. Yeah, the Drew Brees TED talk. If he gets another Super Bowl, his, yes, his speaking engagements will rise to another hundred thousand. He was already on Oprah. Right. Drew Brees invented kids wearing bulky headphones during a celebration. You're right, he did. He deserves a Bose deal. Yeah. Let's put Chicago to bed. You really were impressed with Trubisky's throws the entire game, uh, but you were not impressed with Nagy's offense, and you're kind of now wondering heading into next season, is it creative enough? Yeah. I mean— Which is so funny, Sims. Because that's everybody says it is. all I hear. That's all. It's it's all. This. He uses defensive linemen at the goal line. Yeah, right, which is cool, and I, I give him credit for that. But, you know, to compare his offense to what I saw what Philadelphia did in that game, it's not comparable. I mean, Philadelphia was on another level. I mean, Doug Peterson, he, he must be some grinder, clutch mother effer because he just, the bigger the game, the better the game plan gets. It's unreal. So many people. are Continue to go, why is Doug Peterson not talked about as a great game planner? Yeah, he should be. And. You know, I don't really know the specifics of he didn't. What was the play calling status all year long? You know, a little bit of Mike Grow, right? I know he was calling plays at a time. I do feel like Doug Peterson's a lot more active on the sidelines when he's I watch. He's definitely right now. calling them right now. I think he's calling them right now. They might not want to say it. It just seems that way to me. But yeah, I mean, just to back to the point. Yeah, Nagy, I thought dropped the ball with not running the ball a little bit more. Just you gotta you gotta run the ball to keep Fletcher Cox and everybody honest because your your D line never had to worry about the run other than ten times they just said oh Trubisky's gonna yeah. throw it let's yeah. stay in our pass rush lanes and let's play pass defense so that was an issue and then yeah there was just a few too many repeat concepts and there was just a few too many scenarios where 
I felt like Philadelphia really knew what was coming. And mm. um, yeah, one, one thing you also about the Bears was yeah. Fuller was playing too off Alshon. Definitely, you just and when you wrote when you play Alshon, you just got to be hitting him the entire time. You, you got to do your best to not let him get going. He's a get going type of guy because he's so big. It really reminds me of basketball where it's like don't let him get on the block, meet him at the three point right. line. And it becomes basketball when you don't because He'll box you out. he boxes you out. Foles is great at going, oh, here he comes out of the break. Let me just throw it high and in a spot. And Fuller won't be able to reach around that big body and knock the ball out. And Foles is a master at it, and so is Alshon. That's, yeah. it's, it's fun to watch. It's really interesting. Foles and Alshon together, it's like a Jason kid or like a Nash into an Amari where he just knows where they want the ball, and he just puts it in the right spot. No doubt. And it's Ertz high, Alshon high, Matthews high. It was some great throws. It really is was. Is Marshawn Lattimore a guy that can jam Alshon and yes. run with him? Yeah. That's scary to me. Yeah. Eli Apple. Yeah. Eh, maybe not. Yeah, no, I mean, he's not. Eli's not as good as Marshawn, but they're going to get in their, their face a little bit, I would think, and not let Alshon just go, oh, let me gather my speed up and get to 15. If and- you're not jamming Alshon and Ertz, you're not playing the Eagles correctly. No. I mean, exactly Michael right. Kendricks told the whole NFL that on Hard Knocks. You're right. I and forgot teams, about that. for some reason, forgot to do that to Yeah, us. because Fuller just doesn't play that way. He's a guy that kind of plays off. Or when he does bump, he's not a jammer. He kind of just mirrors. And the Saints are bumps and jammers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Philadelphia, yeah. you wrote, you have to test Philadelphia deep, and you got to take a shot at Rasul Douglas. Yeah. Look, Eagles fans are right there with you. Yeah. We don't understand why people aren't testing us. I don't get it either. I mean, for one, you guys are so aggressive right now and playing so good, and and it's just one way to just back off the aggression. Not blitzing, just playing aggressive. Just aggressive. It's just like, I mean, it, you guys are playing down. You guys played downhill the whole game. It was like nothing ever made you pause. It just was, oh, there's the ball. Let's fly at it. Oh, they're dropping back or they're running. Boom, let's go right to it. There was nothing ever to make them stutter or stop or whatever until they called, called some double moves on Avante Maddox. They got the, end of the game. They got him, right. And Avante will learn. I mean, he's got potential to be really, really awesome. You wrote down Avante Maddox is the real deal. He's the real deal, man. I mean, he's got – the first thing he got is tremendous speed. Tremendous. Tremendous. So he's never going to – Two really cool dreads. Right. And he's never going to be really threatened by the go route, right? Which is, you know, why he gets burned, too. And he'll learn to balance that out. But, yeah, technique-wise, um, you know – He's o- played three positions. I know. Overall smarts, all of that are are pretty damn good. And ever since they've had to put him on the outside through the injuries and all that – He's just gotten better and better every week. Yeah, it's, it's he was feeling himself in that game. That's he what really, really happened because he almost picked two balls, had the one on the sideline, had another one with a check down. down. Yeah. That he was going to throw to Jordan Howard yep. late, and he almost picked it at like the first yeah. drive of the game. So, Believe me, my my whole group chat was, "Hey, Avante, can you?" Uh, uh, we were calling him almost Avante Maddox, right? He is, almost lost you the game too. Yes, but, he did. Yeah. Um, if this is. Of all the things you wrote mm-hmm. for all four games, mm-hmm. this is the one that I went, huh? Really? If the Eagles' defense was healthy all year, they'd have a first-round bye. They were healthy all year? If they just played this style and simplicity? and yeah, you, you said they just played three-man or three-match? They played three-match or just normal three-zone. Three-zone, I, mean, I meant. Right. And a sprinkled man-to-man here and there. But it couldn't be any more basic. 
I mean, it could not be any more basic. Then why is it so effective? Because you have an awesome front four who's whooping the crap out of people right now. You got two middle linebackers with Hicks back in the lineup that are very fast and can fly around. You got Malcolm Jenkins, who's really smart. Is amazing, right? Go into Malcolm a little bit more. Malcolm is like, you know... He's your version of Cam Chancellor. I mean, that's what he is. He's not the hitter Cam Chancellor is, but he is that quarterback on the defense who's directing traffic, run game, pass game. He's equally as effective in pass defense and run defense. There's just there's no weakness no to weakness his game. game. That's where he is awesome. Yeah. And your team has become phenomenal tacklers. I oh, mean, no, not all those corners brought down tackle. receivers. Right, the first play ever. Nobody game. broke a tackle the whole that, game. That was what I was so impressed with Rasul Douglas. Right, that's why I think Eagles fans have always liked Rasul Douglas. Is the man can tackle? He is fearless in tackling. You're right about that. And your man Trey Sullivan in the back end. I mean, every week he's kind of got kind of got. Damn, this kid's got a little chance, right? But this game, I mean. I don't know if I was maybe I just, It all more. feels like fool's gold to me. Like all these young corners I feel like are now going to go to to New England to New Orleans and it's going to be like Ted Ginn over the top. The fact that it's so simple, I don't think that. Because what do you mean? They're so simple and what they're doing, I just don't think they're going to be overwhelmed here. I don't. That's so funny because when I read it was simple, yeah. I went, simple is easy to diagnose and Sean Payton Drew Brees will tear it apart. Dallas is simple too. How did that work out for this New Orleans Saints? So explain to me why simple can be better. Simple can be good just because when you have good talent, you're never exposing. And that would be. Do the Eagles have good talent? Yeah, they okay. do. Okay, they do. I mean, when you have you just a healthy said Trey Sullivan, Cravon LeBlanc, Rasul Douglas, Avante Maddox, and I'm like, doesn't sound that great. I know, and you know, I'll use a phrase that we've heard like Chris Ballard and Frank Reich know. Just because they're household, not household names yet, doesn't mean they're not good players. Okay. I heard them say that. You know, Trey Sullivan is going to be a starting safety in the NFL and have a career. Wow. Avante Maddox is going to be a, a legit man-to-man corner for a long time. You know, so wow. they've drafted well. The Craven LeBanc. You heard Schwartz give the credit to the front office for yeah. getting him. You know, yes, he's done a good job for them. Um, and then, like we said, with Hicks being back healthy, along with Bradham in the middle, your D-line's healthier. I mean, Brandon Graham, I think, played one of his better games of the year in this football game. Not that he got, I don't even know if he got a sack, but he was disruptive. Um, yeah, it's just all going in the right direction for you guys. You guys were the better team on the field. That's all I could say, and, then, and I did not think I would be saying that. Let's wrap up the Eagles' offense with two big nuggets. One, this is the most formations concepts for this team all year, and it's frustrating, Yeah, but it's also exciting. Right. So you saw stuff that you haven't seen all year. and just, Like what? Give me examples. I mean, just constant mixings of – right, so third and nine, last drive of the game. Okay. Alshon Jeffrey hits the slant route to your left, right? They were fucking in the shotgun. I'm sorry, Josh, that I've cussed this many <laughs> times today. That's what happens when I get excited about playoff football. They're in the shotgun. He had two backs next and to him. And back behind him. And Alshon Jeffrey was behind him. What? Yeah. I don't remember that. With the tight end to the right at the normal tight end position. And then Alshon, Alshon came Alshon went to the motion out to the left. And so what did you think when you saw that on well, film? Well, I just saw a lot of – you said you wanted an example, and I'm yeah. just saying there was little things like that all game. A lot more motions, some different formations, and I just went, yeah, I'm like you. 
because I like the Eagles style of play when they're good. I oh. find it refreshing. It's tough. It's NFC it's East. Tough. It's tough. It's yeah. up. Yeah. It's just it's it's fun to watch. It's, it's why you know I like you guys last year. We're still going to do it. Exactly. Just with a little little sprinkle of coolness yes. here and there. That's all you need. It's um, really what Andy Reid's doing in Kansas City. It, we right. do what we do, but we're going to do a little window just dressing. Just a little every, that, every now and then. So Maybe Doug Peterson's like you in college. He just likes cramming. Maybe he does. Maybe he does. But it was a lot of, uh, I thought, different concepts, different formations. And I thought the same thing. I was going, damn, I mean, they'd be 13-3 and three if we just played this way the whole year. If we weren't. <sighs> Messing up cover three against the Titans on fourth and 15 or, you know, jumping on a double move when Kirk Cousins is on his own one-inch yard line so he could throw a bomb for 80 yards down the field to Thielen. It was little things like that that kind of screwed you guys. And Um, then you wrote, Foles is a fucking giant. Giant. And and for QC, that is not a curse for me. Sims wrote it. Right. You wrote he's an effing giant. He's a giant. You know, Chicago has a weird all-22 sideline film. It's, it's a little bit lower. It's lower, exactly right. It's, it's the only one in the NFL that's like this. As soon as it comes on, you're like, oh, we're in Chicago. <laughs> um, but you really get to see the size of him because it's lower, and he's such a big guy. And I, I know I use my phrase that I always use, that size is a skill. Yep. We, we don't talk about that at the quarterback position. you know. But size is a skill because this was a game, I said in my notes, Khalil Mack was a little more disruptive than I gave him credit for on TV. He was around Nick Foles a lot. Leonard Floyd was a few times, too. Foles is just unfazed by it. It just doesn't matter. He's so big, and it's like a Big Ben or a Cam. He's just, oh, I, oh, you're Khalil Mack. I can, I can see over you. I mean, it's probably going to hurt when you hit me, but okay, I'll just I'll be all relaxed to Nick Foles and throw it out there. I mean, that's how he does it. It's yeah. like, But it's amazing. And, yes, his size in this game just jumped out to me. He was not intimidated like most quarterbacks are when they play the Bears and they go, oh, gosh, the pocket's collapsing. He just didn't care. I'm just realizing, having broken down all four games, the only team that you left seemingly more confident about was the Eagles. Yeah. All the other games. It's the first time I'm actually going to buy in on the Eagles since Cowboys, this has But I mean, like, Cowboys, Chargers, and Colts, all three of those games, I came away reading your notes I and feeling a little bit less impressed. Flaws, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. And... Flaws so, that the other teams could take advantage of. Right. Like flaws that are really tough for the matchups. Right. Like your issues with the Colts are that their pass defense can be attacked and they're facing Patrick Mahomes. Right. The flaws against the Cowboys were they're too aggressive on defense and they're too simple on offense. And I'm like, they're playing the freaking Rams. Right. And then the Chargers are like, their offense is basic and can be discovered and they're playing Bill Belichick. Like all three of those flaws are epic, Sims. I know. I know, man. Like you flipped all three of my bets today. I'm just admitting to you. <laughs> But the Eagles are the one team that I got done reading your notes and go, we have a new advanced offense with a quarterback that's an effing giant and a defense that's simplified and can get after the quarterback. Right. Where's the flaws? I know. Only problem is you got to play the best team in football. You're yeah. just the one team that has to play the team that's truly the most well-rounded team in football. I'm going to now ask for every— Wait, i got to finish. Okay, okay. Okay, I just got to finish with this because we got to talk about what the Bears did and some of the flaws of their football team, right? Like— Nobody has talked about this. First of all, 
I mean, if Nick Foles doesn't throw the one interception in the end zone and do that, so the game is going to be a different they did, game. They did say in the broadcast yeah. that the Bears had 10 on the field for the touchdown. Right. They did talk about that. No. I saw that in your notes. Yes, right, right. So, But I was just saying, Foles, if he doesn't throw an interception, I really think you're going to control this game a lot more than That'd just awesome. win it. But yeah. either way, yes, I know they said it on the broadcast. I'm saying nobody's talked about it all week. I haven't watched one TV show that or anything. On the Dallas Goddard touchdown, the Bears only had 10 on the field. They had no middle safety. No, it was really they had no nickelback. McManus, who led up the end of the game, well, the touchdown, Eagles focused on the whole game. He he did not have a very good day. He messed up the things. I'm not even talking about physically. He messed up some things mentally and did things you're not supposed to do. But on that play, that was nickel defense, and he was not in the, on the field. Wow. And and 38 Adrian Amos, he's in the back end like trying to point out traffic, and he realizes something's wrong, but he can't figure it out. Wow. He's like pointing at the corner and he's talking and he's like, and you could tell there's like, wait, what's why I have to go cover this guy over here? Wait, this shouldn't be. And he had to go match up, but there was no middle safety. And you guys ran two posts that would have run right into a safety. Yeah. So that was huge. Now, the end of the game that played the sprint a win. Sprint right option. Sprint right option. To Golden Tate, Nick Falls. Which I, I didn't realize was the exact same play that Matt Ryan ran with Julio Jones. Like, that's insane. I didn't know it was the exact same play. A little play. different way, but yes, it was. Still, you run right, I run right, right. I'm going to throw it to you. So I'm going to pull this up so we can just talk about this in real time. Okay there, big guy? You were, I think in your notes you said, why did they not double-team Golden Tate? They, they, I believe they were double-teaming him, and McManus messed up. So here's the play, just so you see it. Okay. Okay. So here, here oh, wow. it is. Look how low that camera angle is. Right. Three receivers to your right, right? The, they're going to blitz. They want to blitz these two guys right here. Two linebackers in the middle. Right. And it looks like Amos is over Aguilar. Yep. And you have McManus. And? And Dion Bush this is, right? All, both over Golden Tate. Both, and they're stacked almost at this point. Yep. But really, when you get into the end zone look, you're going to see Bush is playing for the inside. And then McManus is playing for the outside. But he should be, and he's not. Yeah, he's kind of lying straight up, up over him. He's head up, and he should not be. He should why be. isn't Amos pushing him? I don't know. But this is a common theme with the game where the Bears' defense, and I think it's because you guys did more formations, there was a whole lot of talk before every snap. They mm. weren't sure of their rules. And, yes, so I think that is the issue with this play. Now we'll go to the end zone yeah, because shot. Because Amos is just standing there. He's standing there, right. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're totally messed up. And maybe Amos is supposed to be here against, oops, sorry, against, um, maybe he is supposed to be covering. Alshon? That's Aguilar in the slot, okay. right? No, I'm saying maybe he's supposed to be here, okay? How have I got this messed up? Oh, no, I wasn't sure maybe if, either way, I don't know what the hell I'm saying. I don't know. I, I'm getting confused. You're just, like, your main point is. I'm not sure. I'm not 100% sure. McManus and then we're supposed to double team him here or let me just get this straight in my brain here and I'll do this live time so anybody can make fun of me <laughs> or if oh this is what I wanted to say or okay I got it right I just couldn't figure out what I was thinking before or was Bush supposed to be over Aguilar over here and Amos is covering the back in the backfield either way miscommunication either way miscommunication misalignment and I, like I said, I think they're trying to double Golden Tate, and McManus should be playing outside of him so he can't make the outside breaking rate. But I'm not 100% about that, so I don't want to totally blame McManus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, either That's way. A tough one. Either way, they were confused. It sounds like the whole game. A lot. Do you think the Eagles can confuse the Saints? 
No. The Saints have kind of adopted your guys' motto, where they went to just, wait, we got a good front four, and let's play simple in the back end. They've yeah. kind of been the same way. And that's ever since they got their defense straightened out, that's basically what they did. Uh, I'm going to ask the Sims and Leftco listeners, all the homies, uh, to enjoy something, but then also help me out. I have set myself up for a very awful offseason. My constant badgering of the Saints fans and their team, even though on our podcast we predicted that they would go to the Super Bowl, not just before the season, I also predicted they'd win the Super Bowl in week 13. Like, I did do that. Yeah, sure. But I am public enemy number one. (laughs) And I'm going to be honest, it's a lot of fun. The attention is great, my mentions are awful, and the insults are coming in hot. I'm sure. So, two things I want you to enjoy. If the Eagles do lose, which is a very realistic possibility, enjoy really just go into my mentions and look at all of the hate that I'm getting. But if any of you have any ideas to turn it, I'm almost going to open up Sims like homie PR, where if you guys give me some ideas to how to flip it, or it's like, it's like if you got in the mentions too, and we're like, oh no, Lefko's like a huge Saints fan. Like if we just like flip it and confuse them, I think we can battle back. But I'm just letting you know that I have a feeling the Saints are going to win the Super Bowl, and thus the next eight months of my life are going to be awful. Could be trouble. Especially when I saw the graphics of the last time they won the Super Bowl. They were a 13-win team with their three losses coming against the Buccaneers, the Cowboys, like the same exact team. Right. And I'm like, and we're getting another Super Bowl. So just, if you can help me out, great. Uh, Other than that, we're excited to see you guys in Atlanta. Again, uh, hit us up in the email, Sims and Lefko at gmail.com. Tell us who's your name, what is your name, how many people are coming, and what nights. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're doing a podcast or a show every night. We've already got a ton of people saying they're going to be there. It's going to be fun. There's a chance there's going to be free drinks. I think that chance is about 90%. So we're going to have a blast. It's going to be a good time. Yep, we will. Talking ball, having a good time. Let's wrap it up. Betting show tomorrow for Sims. Peace out, homies. Fendrick would say... Good evening. And the L-E-F-K-O-E... Man. ...says, holla, 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 holla. You may have changed all my bets. And that's what happens. I got to think about what I'm going to do. Yeah, I know. For me, I'm trying to think strategy. I want to go against you. Right. But I also want to be right. I'm still winning. Damn. (laughs) Holla at you guys later, man. Be well.